I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as ghost, creepy old men, franchises, and director's bodies of work. Well, I'm glad uh, to move on from vampires as much as I love them to something else, you know, because there's a few hours of vampire movies in there. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> just a few. And uh, I'm glad to move into something that's very near and dear to my heart. Yes. Poltergeist one only. Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> We have to do the trilogy? I don't know if I want to do that. But uh, before we dive into the movie, I just want to do a little announcement corner. So as of recording right now, I'm five weeks out from having my third child. And as of airing, it will probably be three weeks-ish. And that's assuming nothing happens early. Yeah. And uh, so for June and July, we're going to go bi-weekly, I think. Yeah. I mean, if worst case scenario, it depends how little sleep Jesse gets, uh, maybe one episode a month. But if we did that for those two months, we'd make sure they're pretty lengthy ones. Yeah. Like vampire length. And, uh, <laughs> they're going to be the running joke now. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I don't know. We want to deliver quality products, but I got to be a family man there for while we're adjusting to having this third child. So if, yeah. you, if you see us take a break there in June and July, just remember, we decided to, you know, do two a month or one a month for a couple months until I adjust, and then we're going to go right back into it. Yeah, we're not going to do a full-blown hiatus. There will still be content. It'll just be spread out a little bit. And, you know, I was thinking if uh, any cool horror movies come out during that two-month span or something, or any cool article or book, or and Josh or I end up seeing it independently, and we can see what it sounds like to do, like, a little independent mini-episode, just throw some shit up there. No. Because I'm not going to sleep a lot. I might have a kid rocking in my arm, and I can... I can talk about a movie I just saw in the theaters for a minute. But I just wanted to get that out there. But, you know, speaking of kids, this movie came out the year we were born. Yes. Uh, you were actually alive when it came out. I don't think I was yet. Did it come out that early? I mean, your birthday's in January. Wait a minute. I came out that early. Yeah. <laughs> your birthday's in January. Mine's in August. So, um, you know, 1982, it was, we, we obviously didn't see it then. Correct. But uh, Not knowingly, at least. <laughs> not knowingly. Um, but to me, this is... This is the greatest like haunted house ghost story ever told. Yes. I think I said house was my favorite haunted house movie or ghost movie on our top 10 list for episode 10. That's the one that I remember being scared of the most. Yeah. But this movie, Poltergeist 1 anyways, to me it's not just like one of the greatest horror movies of all time. I think it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I think it's really well done. Yeah. There's so many things that people our age, the generation after the generation before, always you recall back to this movie. For example... Lots of fears. Anytime I see a creepy clown dollar statue, poltergeist every fucking time. Yeah. This and uh, Pennywise. Yeah. Pennywise is like a scary clown. And then poltergeist is like the scary statue or figure of a clown. Yeah. Right. So it's like different fears. I cannot see static on a TV and not think of poltergeist. You have fear generated by this or it just harkens back to it? Harkens back. Okay. Off air music. Like when a TV station goes off air, which still happened when Josh and I were kids. Yeah. Makes me think of this movie. Absolutely. If I'm watching a movie that's supposed to take place in the 80s, early 90s, and a channel goes off air, immediately think of Poltergeist. <laughs> like there's just so many things that like happen in this movie that just makes everyone think about it because it was such a prolific film of its time. And I, I think it holds up well to this day. Like so many horror movies that I bitch about, it has shitty, <laughs> shitty sequels. And we might be actually on the lower scale of shitty sequels. We'll see how I feel when we roll through them. Um, It just makes me so mad how great the film was and then how bad the sequels were, how poor they were. But there's some big names behind writing, directing, 
producing and special effects that happened in the first one that you, d- you just don't have after that one. Yeah. And uh, something that was really interesting to me, Josh, watching this movie, and I don't know if I can explain it. You'll know one day, but this is the first movie that I guess I haven't seen it in five years, which is odd because I, oh, wow. I watch this movie a lot. Well, my son's five, right? Aiden's five. So maybe I've seen it since Aiden was born, but not my daughter, which was a year okay. and a half later. But this is the first movie that I've seen that I know I've seen a lot and it's different to me now that I have children. Yeah. Watching the first Poltergeist for this episode, I got emotional during some of the scenes. I even got a little watery in the eyes. And it's because I was thinking about my kids and it's really weird that that happened. I mean, even if you look at Carol Ann and then you look at my daughter, who's four, they both got the blonde hair and the bangs and. Yeah. Some similarities there, right? So, yeah. you know, so it's like her getting taken. And like when you see the kids like laying in the parents of their bed, scared and stuff. I'm, I haven't slept without children in my bed in like three months. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting to to see that happen. But I think that really goes into Spielberg being a part of this movie. Like, I feel like that's one of his things. Like you can draw on it and you can feel it. You're always along for the adventure. Spielberg's involved, right? Yeah. For the most part. One of the coolest things about Poltergeist is the backstory. There's a lot to the backstory of this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of things that happen, like the Hooper versus Spielberg debate. Yep. This is going on forever. You can see different sides of it because Steven Spielberg 100% wrote it. Yep. He 100% produced it. Supposedly didn't direct it. Supposedly. He was a big fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so he called Toby Hooper to direct it. And... Spielberg's reasoning behind it. He's making E.T. essentially at the same time. Yeah. This went into production. And they actually only came out, was it a week apart? They came out very close together and they were actually shot 20 minutes away from each other. Yeah, and they were. So it was either one week or one month apart on their release dates, okay? And contractually, Steven Spielberg was not allowed to direct a film while he was working on E.T. Yeah. And he wanted to direct this movie. And he's like, hey, I'm making a fucking horror movie. Toby Hooper made Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it's fucking awesome. Let's get Toby Hooper to come in and direct it. Okay. However, there are lots of people that say Toby Hooper was just like a, just there. Yeah. And that Steven Spielberg directed the whole time. There are also a lot of people that say that's not true. Toby Hooper directed. Um, Spielberg just helped with some storyboarding and positioning. There's some people that say it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. You've got some other people that seem to be in the middle. That's like, oh no, it was Toby Hooper, but he would always be like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. Right, Steven? (laughs) Type shit. (laughs) And uh, it's interesting. I found as many old documentaries and behind-the-scenes works as I could of this movie, which is a little more difficult. They weren't as popular back then. Yeah. And Spielberg, I mean, he had done Jaws and a couple other movies. But E.T. is really when he, like, fucking exploded. Yes. I mean, Jaws, he he was doing quite well for himself after that. But, like, when the two together, like, he started getting a lot bigger. And you would probably start seeing a lot more behind-the-scenes. But any behind the scenes thing I saw, you would, I mean, I'd, you would see Toby Hooper say action and cut, but Steven Spielberg was telling everybody what to do beforehand and going in and out. And I don't know, like to me, I feel like it was collaborative. Yeah. At least parts of it. Even the the opening of the movie, like the opening of the movie with the parents asleep and Carol Ann sitting there and the TV going off air and the static and, and her hearing shit. To me, that's got like a Toby Hooper vibe. A little bit. And then you get like the, the beautiful scenic intro with the music and it going through the neighborhood and following the families. And I'm like, and Spielberg. Yeah. Um, people forget that uh, Spielberg, I mean, he can do some scary shit. He did Jaws. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even fucking Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Ark. There's some creepy shit. The Nazis melting and yeah. stuff, which is kind of reminiscent to something that happens in this movie. Yeah. There's some people like Zelda Rubenstein says that it was Steven. 
that directed. And yeah, she's been very vocal that it was all him. Did you hear that Joe Beth Williams, when she had to do the pool scene, she was terrified to do it because there's so many lights and electrical wires. So then Stephen just jumped in yep. the water and said, hey, if you fry, I fry. So let's do this. Yep. That's That sounds like something a director would do, not the writer who's hanging out on set, right? Exactly. Definitely sounds like something Spielberg would do. There was some delays on E.T. and it's supposedly cited that that's why he was there as much as he was. So it may have just been happenstance. And then that goes more towards it being a collaborative thing that like, hey, I got some time. I can be here. Let me steer a little bit since I can. Right. And he was the producer and the writer and yep. he was the original director. Yeah. You know, he just contractually couldn't. Exactly. So it wouldn't be that odd if he was there. And I have definitely seen some scenes of Toby Hooper directing like uh, yeah. on the background. And like I said, some of the darker scenes feel like him, but they could have also been Spielberg. Yeah. A lot of the family dynamic scenes. Oh, that's do, all Spielberg. Does not feel Hooper at all. Yeah. Right. So that's why I feel like it's more collaborative. I did read an article recently. I think it was from two years ago. The guy that was like the assistant cameraman and he's gone on to do bigger and better things than that. I'm sorry. I can't think of his name right now. His brother also worked on poltergeist doing something else. Okay. And they came out and said that, um, it had something to do with the director strike was coming soon. And if a movie was being filmed and the director strike happened, the union directors had to quit and the movies basically got canceled and Spielberg knew it was coming. Toby Hooper was not in the director's guild at the time. Okay. So he would have been able to keep working. I don't, I mean, that just came out semi recently. So I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah. We know that there was the ET clause that he couldn't direct anything. Exactly. So it could have been a bit of both. Could have. But I don't know. I mean, we got a good fucking movie. It's just interesting. Like we were going through looking at Spielberg's credits and I'm like, even, even knowing this and we were yeah. prepping it, I'm like, why is Poltergeist not on this list? Oh, never mind. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's Toby Hooper forever in history will be written as the one that did it. Um, I did see Spielberg's been, they've both been questioned about it into the ground. Oh yeah. And, and Spielberg was like, no, no, no. Toby directed the movie, but like, he's a, if you ask a question kind of guy, he's not like a jump right on it guys. So sometimes I just jumped in. Yeah. You know, I was like, eh. well, there was the one he did an interview where he almost bad mouth Toby Hooper as not being a good director for not then, being hands-on enough. Right. Yeah. And then came out and did a public apology for it. Like, sorry, that's not how I meant to say it. Blah, blah, blah. And that whole exchange right there, it added credence to Spielberg was much more hands-on than it, than people were letting on. And then he had to kind of walk it back. Right. Um, but the whole thing is watch the fucking movie, watch Spielberg movies. It's a Spielberg movie. Right. It has that feel, um, camera movements, shot setups. It is. And not to take anything away from Toby Hooper. I mean, the man was there. The man worked. It's just, it's a weird situation that happened. It doesn't fucking matter. The movie got made. I'm I'm not trying to be an asshole right. about it, but I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's neat. He at least had some input on it. A lot of people say they saw him do storyboarding and yeah. I've seen two different reports. One of them was like Toby Hooper, like hand edited most of this movie himself, but then I've seen like things referencing Spielberg editing. So I, I don't know. know. It's all over the place. Let me, let me blow your mind here and I'll move on to like a, a, another thing. Um, I don't know if it'll blow your mind, but family dynamic horror movie. No. Toby Hooper directed Salem's lot. Okay. You've seen it, right? Not in forever. Oh, well they don't feel even remotely close, <laughs> but it's a family with this horrific thing happening. Now, granted Salem's lot, he's working with a, Stephen King book, but yeah. I don't know. So take of that what you will. I feel like it was collaborative personally. What do you think? I think it was collaborative, but probably like 75% Spielberg. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to throw a percentage on it, but I do feel like the scales are, you know, swayed yeah. in that favor. There's an interesting thing. Episode 91 of twilight zone. 
called Little Girl Lost. And I had seen it before and I rewatched it last night. Okay. A lot of people say that the idea is ripped off from that. I wouldn't go that far, but I bet Spielberg was probably inspired by it, at least in some way, or at least gave him partial idea. And and Little Girl Lost, a dad wakes up, dog's barking, he wants the daughter to be quiet, and he hears his daughter yelling for help, and the wife's asleep. And he goes in the room and he can't find her. And he can hear her crying for help on the bed. And he's like, are you under the bed, dear? And he's like looking under it. Yeah. And he can't find her and he's freaking out. And the wife comes in. The daughter keeps talking and you can kind of hear in the walls and in the ceiling a little bit like she's part of the house. You find out the hands can go through the wall where the headboard is. And the uh, father calls his best friend who's a physicist. And he comes in and he's explaining like multi-dimensions and this, 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 and that. They place books under the bed legs and move the bed so they know where the bed was. And he draws this weird shape, and he's like, this is a portal, blah, blah, blah. Can you hear? She's somewhere else in the house. There's an exit portal. Yeah. And the dog runs in the portal, too. And the parents are going through the house looking in, like, cupboards and stuff and trying to figure out where the exit is. Yeah. And um, the dad ends up diving in to get the daughter and pull her out right as the portal closes. Definitely some similarities there, but that's more like saying you can copyright like a girl disappearing into a dimension. Well, see, and even that, you know where my brain went as you described that? What? Because I don't think I've ever seen her. If I have, it's been too long for me to remember. I love the old Twilight Zone. <laughs> that made me think of fucking Paranormal Activity 6. Yeah. With a portal above the bed, and yeah, that's where my brain went. So There's a lot of poltergeists that I could attribute to some Paranormal Activity as we go through this down the road. Well, and that's the thing is just like with music, there's only so many notes out there. There's only so many scales out there. You know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and whatnot. So, yeah, shit's going to be inspired by other shit. Sometimes shit happens and then it gets shown to you later that's like, oh, this is exactly like this. And it was created by somebody who doesn't even care about that genre and never even knew it existed. Yeah. So. I mean, as much as he, he may or may not have been inspired I don't I don't believe any claims that it was a ripoff because yeah. like the haunted house aspect isn't in there. Um, interestingly enough, though, I should have probably mentioned this during Hooper versus Spielberg when Spielberg wrote the movie. I don't remember the original name, but it was actually like an alien movie, right? Yeah, it was kind of like a pseudo uh, sequel to Close Encounters. Right. And it was supposedly it was Toby Hooper's idea to make it ghost instead because yep. he had he got somebody's office and it had a book on poltergeist and he had read it. Yep. So, I mean, there's a collaboration right there. Exactly. Um, and you got I mean, Spielberg. He's more of like the sci-fi guy than the horror guy, right? Definitely. So you could see that, and then Toby just turned him into ghost and stuff. And, like, that's actually a unique kind of collaborative piece that's really cool if you think about it. And that's what I like. And I like to think that, like, with some of the horror elements that are in this movie and how far they get pushed, that, that like, Spielberg's <laughs> like, you know, Toby Hooper's like, we should do this and this. Spielberg's like, okay, it's a little much. And then he gets into it, and he's like, oh, we got to do more of this. You know what I mean? I was thinking about a lot of the special effects and the fact that fucking Industrial Light and Magic did the the special effects in this movie. Yeah. I was trying to find, if you pull up a list of all the movies they've done, it's insane, right? Yeah. But I was trying to figure out if they ever done a horror film before, and I, I don't have anything definitive on that. Hmm. I would have had to have poured through like a whole list, but Spielberg and George Lucas were friends. Yeah. So it's, you know, because this was 82. So we've had at least New Hope and Empire Strikes Back by now. Yeah. You know, so um, they've already established themselves as like the special effects gods, which they still technically are to this day. They invent everything just yeah. about right, you know, and they get paid all like all the big blockbuster movies them to do it. And the fact that they did the special effects in this horror movie and even on this movie, when we dive into it later, they invented shit for it. Yeah. And this was still in that inventive time where special effects was really starting to take this turn to where. And it's all because of George Lucas, where. Motherfucker, I'm gonna beat your head against the wall. This is what I want. Figure it out. Um, 
and and shit was happening where by necessity it was happening and and given everything to the computer wasn't on the horizon yet and optical effects and compositing and miniatures and all that shit like this is at the zenith of where the shit could go right and affordably yeah it, i'm saying that with quotations by this point figuring out all the teeth cutting that had happened because of star Wars. It's just really interesting. You know, you think of like K and B and, and stuff like that doing horror movies. It's, it's just interesting to think that ILM who did all the star Wars movies and Marvel movies and shit like that fucking yeah. did this movie, but it's fucking, I mean, it's, it's really good special effect, especially for the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean the, the fucking house imploding is one of my favorite things. Yes. And I can't wait till we get to that part to talk about it. Good. It. Cause I love how they did that. Very interesting enough. Heather O'Rourke was not first choice for Carol Ann. She was not. Drew Barrymore tried out for the role and Spielberg loved her. He just thought she would have made a better Gertie in E.T. So, yep. <laughs> so he moved her on over to there and uh, he actually found Heather O'Rourke by accident, right? Like I, I read that her and her mother were eating in the commissary and he saw her and he thought she was perfect and he got her to come read for the lines and she kept laughing. And yep. they're like, she's not going to work, Steve. And uh, he made her come back for a second audition, yeah. and which is very good because she's very iconic in the role. Yeah. Even in some of the shitty sequels. <laughs> well, you know what he made her do in the second audition? <laughs> what did he do? He said scream. Oh, okay. And just made her scream to the point that she broke down crying. And it's like... <laughs> You'll do. Um, <laughs> well, he uh, always had faith in there. It was the studio that was all weird. Yeah. yeah. And he, and that's going through these movies. That's I'm touch on it right now, real quick. She's not in most of the first movie because she's the one they're looking for. Second movie is a little different, let's say, but what's really sad about this is by the third movie is when we really get to see her act. Yeah. Unfortunately, she passed away during the, Dur- they were still making the movie Yeah, during filming. So another interesting name to throw in there was Stephen King. Uh, Spielberg yep. actually, when he was going to produce and direct it, approached Stephen King to write the screenplay. And I don't think he had written a screenplay at this time yet. He liked the idea, but everything always cites that they couldn't come to an agreement, no. which sounds like money to me, Money. which Spielberg did a fantastic job writing the movie. So there's no arguments there. Yeah. Um, I think it's crazy. The movie's rated PG. When you think of some of the shit, it got hit with the R rating. Yep. I guess Spielberg already had some clout. And he was able to talk it down to the next rating lower than R, which was not PG-13 yet. Correct. It was PG. And, I mean, there's so many things in here. I wouldn't let my kids watch this movie. Oh, no. There's yeah. there's stuff in here that's that's terrifying. I'm more interested by the fact that, I mean, one, we had the gap in the rating system, is I read and saw interviews of the same thing like you're saying. It's like, yeah, and I renegotiated for a PG. Like I hear stories about more modern movies where it's like, you got to cut this. Oh, it's too red. Uh, cut these frames stuff. We've talked about like, and this guy's like, I renegotiated. Yeah. I mean, the PG 13 rating is mainly accredited to Spielberg and all research I've ever done, even outside of this episode because well, of things like this and like Raiders of Lost Ark it, and stuff like that. It was like, Raiders and Gremlins that the whole snafu started and Poltergeist. It's always cited as the third one is those three movies. Yeah. So, you know, they made a rating essentially because of Spielberg. <laughs> pretty much. So that's pretty fucking awesome. There's a lot of Star Wars tie-ins with this movie. Yeah. Robbie's room. I mean, I want it now for my 36-year-old <laughs> adult self. He's got some badass shit. He's got the C-3PO light cover. He's got the, I think it's the Vader Lego holder behind him. He's got like a Planet Hoth like diorama in front of his window. There's a fucking Yoda doll. His room is badass. Yeah. But George Lucas and Steven Spielberg had already made Raiders of Lost Ark together. And 
you can find all sorts of behind the scenes stuff on like Empire Strikes Back and shit and Spielberg hanging out the whole time. Oh, yeah. They're buddies. I think it was Zelda Rubenstein that said that the only time she knows for a fact, somebody, somebody else said, I want to say it was her, but I don't want to accidentally throw her name in there. But somebody said the only time that I know for a fact Toby Hooper directed was the three days that Spielberg was off on a trip with George Lucas, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. But you have that in there. You have Industrial Light and Magic who didn't do horror movies. They mainly, I mean, I'd have to do a bit of research on it to see. But I don't know how much shit outside of Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark ILM had done yet. No. So that's kind of like a monumental feat that they stepped out and did this horror movie. And that was his relationship with George. But those were George movies before this. You know, like he had something to do with them. And then Kathleen Kennedy, who was the producer of Poltergeist, she's a very famous producer. She's produced most large movies that hit that iconic category. Yeah. I'm a huge Star Wars guy. Josh enjoys the movies. And when we were kids, we actually used to make stop motion animation movies yeah i love the original three yeah i just didn't make it out of that so you might not know this but kathleen kennedy's actually who took over lucasfilm when disney bought and george stepped down okay so she's in charge of all of star wars gotcha for better or worse but her <laughs> name is tied to huge movie productions including this one like i don't okay. know how early in her career this was so there's a lot of little star wars tie-ins on there and then you can't talk about poltergeist without talking about the curse yeah. I mean, the curse, they, they say it comes from the fact that uh, the pool scene had actual skeletons in it because Toby and Steve said that they were cheaper than props. Yeah. Well, not He's, just the pool scene, even the ones busting out from the coffins. Yeah. yeah. And, and neither one of them has ever commented on it directly. Yeah. And there's also reports that the same skeletons were used in Poltergeist, too. And they believe that the crew might have been cursed from that. And and. Whether you think that or not, there's some tragic things that happened. There is. And what's really, and of course, these are the things that everybody talks about. That whole thing about neither one of them confirming or denying, like, I they confirmed this. <laughs> exactly. So, and you can take, I'm sure it's like six degrees of separation. If we wanted to look at other movies, we'd be like, oh, this happened, this happened, and this happened. And, and try to say some stuff. But it really is, there's some dark shit. <laughs> that happened and they kept making movies. Right. And that's, that's where I think it gets sad. This kind of makes me think back to the, uh, I hate hearkening back to it, but the Hooper versus Spielberg, like who directed, Yeah, you know, when you bring the director strike thing into light, that could be why Toby and Steven will never really talk about it. I mean, Toby Hooper's not alive anymore, but why they would never talk about it. Cause if you think about it, I bet he would be immediately kicked out of the director's guild. Steven Spielberg. Because he purposely went around the strike yeah. to make his movie. It, it, wouldn't got, sp- it wouldn't surprise me if there was some behind doors things later on. that's just like, look, we have an agreement here. Y'all going to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love Spielberg. He's made some fantastic films. My only hate on him right now is, you know, he's trying to make it where Netflix movies couldn't go into the Oscars. He didn't think it was fair. He lost that battle this week, <laughs> by the way. But the curse, some tragic things happened. Oliver Robbins, for example, who plays Robbie. Yeah. Who can forget the the clown choking him the mechanism fucked up and was actually choking him to death yep and he kept saying i can't breathe they thought he was improving let him roll with it steven noticed that he started turning blue and had to cut the scene and removed it from his neck and saved the boy's life yeah so that's pretty fucked up right that's extremely fucked up dominique dunn was the older sister and she unfortunately after the first film and before the second film was strangled to death by her ex-boyfriend yep. and went into a coma and died shortly thereafter. Her father, Dominic Dunn, was a crime reporter, and he had to report on his own daughter's murder. 
and it got downgraded to a manslaughter charge with the minimum amount of time, which he only had to serve half of. That is fucked. It is completely fucked. You know, I've always been real big into true crime. So even the early court TV, true TV days, there was a show called Dominic Dunn, Power, Privilege, and Justice. Okay. And it was Dominic Dunn covering crimes and murders and things where rich or influential people were involved and got lesser sentences. Okay. And it's from his daughter getting murdered. So, I mean, that's, that was like the first death. Right. Oh, so this was like that. Uh, what was that other show when we were kids that uh, the guy whose son was abducted and murdered? And America's Most Wanted. America's yeah. Most Wanted. There we go. Heather O'Rourke died from septic shock from a bowel obstruction. Yep. They thought it was the flu and tried to treat her for the flu and got her to the hospital too late, basically. And well, figured that out what was going on. Well, something else that happened in the midst of that was she was misdiagnosed with Crohn's disease. Okay. So they were treating Crohn's and not what she actually had going on. Would and, Crohn's technically be the bowel obstruction, though? I don't know okay. because I've never dug into it. The one thing that I do, and I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly the reason she looked like puffy faced in the third one was because of the treatment, which wasn't doing her any good. Okay. And, uh, cause she definitely does have like a, a puffy and it's not like a, a kid's chubby cheeks. It, it definitely looks like it's, it's medically induced or, or something. And she did pass away while they were making that movie. So yeah. And she was 12 at that time. Yeah. It's fucking so, tragic. So those are the primary ones that they call the curse of Poltergeist. Yeah. But there's like some secondary ones. Uh, Julian Beck, who played Reverend Kane in the second one, yeah, died of stomach cancer while they were making the second movie. However, he knew he had stomach cancer. The studio knew when he was filming the movie. And that's why he looks so emaciated, like he's dying. Because he was dying. Because he was dying, which is, I mean, that guy gave his all. Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah, so I mean, it's, if that's the way you're going to go down as your last film, because I think he's primarily a theatrical actor. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if if you wanted to go down for your acting, like if you, <laughs> that was a good one to go down on. Yeah. Just to touch on that for a second, that like goes back to the skeleton things like, okay, this works. Let's, let's do it. And even this guy willing to do it and understanding that how it helps make his character creepy. It's still like one of those buttons you shouldn't push. Call it God, call it karma, whatever. Like just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. <laughs> There's there's few other names here on this list. We got Will Sampson who played Taylor yep. in the second one. I love his character in that movie. He's one of the better parts, I think, of the second one. He fits in a lot better than some of the other secondary characters. Your car is angry. <laughs> I love my him. car's fucking pissed right now. Uh, <laughs> um, he had a disease that basically caused malnourishment, and he died sometime shortly after filming the second one. I don't know the time frame on that one. Richard Lawson who played Ryan one of the paranormal investigators and poltergeist one. No, yeah. I mean, he's known for acting other things, but after poltergeist, he was on an airplane and for some reason they had to upgrade his seat to first class. Okay. Or down from first class to coach. Just one of the two, the plane crashed and most of the people in the plane died. He didn't, if he would have been in his original seat, he would have drowned to death. Oh, wow. So like he kind of, he cheated death on that one. Final destination. Style. That's what I was going to say. Um, this one's a lesser known character in the movie, but it's a, one of the more fucked up ones. Lou Perryman played Pugsley. He was one of the construction workers. He was actually axe murdered. Like he was in his house and somebody was running from the police and broke in trying to hide out and killed him with a fucking axe. And when they asked him why, he's like, I, I had to get out. Right. Like, you know, it's just fucking damn. Um, Zelda's mom died while she was filming part three, which is why she's like, kind of in and out of the movie. Yeah. They only had her for like six days or something. Actually the six days you're thinking like that's poltergeist one. Cause she said, I can tell you I was only on set for six oh, days and right. Steven directed me all six of those. So my bad. Um, 
And uh, <laughs> Joe Beth Williams, who played the mom, she swears their house is haunted while they're filming the movie. Yeah. There's a little bit of other bleed over effect. Poltergeist 3, I thought this one was really interesting. The scene where the fucking animal cars, <laughs> the scene where the cars are chasing them in the parking lot and they're yeah. like fending them off the fire and they exploded. The explosion was too big. The fire was too big. The set caught on fire. Yeah. They almost lost the cameras and they attribute that to the curse sometimes too. Now, the funniest part about that story though okay. was, was Heather Wart came on set, I guess the next day or something like that. And she saw a little bit of the damage and she heard about it and she looked up and she's like, well, did you get the take? Yep. <laughs> so that's fucking awesome. And, um, the remake director, Gil Keenan said he was expecting shit to happen the whole time he was making the reboot. And he's yeah. like, I know something's going to happen. And and he swears the set was plagued with equipment failures the entire time. And that the house that he was staying in when filming the movie was haunted by a woman in a black dress. And the haunting stopped as soon as he finished the movie. So, you know, fucking make of that what you will. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they call it the poltergeist curse. It, it had to be mentioned, but that's, um, uh, we haven't even gotten into the movie, <laughs> the actors, yeah. how the special effects were done. And that was a pretty interesting backstory, just right out the gates. Yeah, there's a lot we had to go through on that because a lot of it is quote unquote well known, or at least people have heard it. So it was yeah. a good opportunity to go through it in some detail. Um, not only because we don't want to miss stuff, but because this is the kind of stuff we like to dig and research on. Yeah. And as Jesse <laughs> mentioned, the very first movie being so important to both of us and so relatable. We wanted to go ahead and go into extreme detail on that. Yeah. I mean, the backstory of this movie was a movie by itself. It, it is pretty well known by most people, but by God, I wasn't going to do a poltergeist <laughs> episode, not fucking talk about it myself. So we're going to go ahead and dive into the 1982 movie of poltergeist. Fuck. Yeah, we are. Which in case anybody's wondering is German for noisy ghosts. Yep. And uh, in case anybody else is wondering, Fucking spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not a spoiler-free zone on this podcast. We open with the National Anthem sign-off. Very relatable back in the day. You didn't have all this entertainment in front of you. You had your handful of channels on terrestrial TV. And at the end of the day, you'd usually get the National Anthem, maybe some shots of like Washington or something like that, and then into the static right no, no, nothing more is going on and that was our era i mean before that you just got like the weird like color bars yeah you just got the color bars on the screen so yeah and so we've got that and we've got steven's asleep on the chair dad he's credited as steve but joe beth williams always calls him steven so uh, whatever it's motherfucking craig t nelson i know it's, it's coach it's coach it's fucking mr incredible you, <laughs> you can't go wrong with this guy we see Ebuzz the dog. Ebuzz got his name from a Saturday Night Live skit. He's kind of wandering around the house and gets some potato chips. You know, just kind of, <laughs> we're kind of seeing the kids asleep and he makes it to Carol Ann and licks her and wakes her up. Are you saying there's an interesting family dynamic in this horror opening that's this, possibly done by Spielberg? Exactly. But this is, you know, this is part of the creepier opening. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is what I call the Hooper opening. <laughs> yeah. But she makes her ways downstairs. She sits in front of the TV and she talks to the static. We get the, I don't know. Five, I don't know. I mean, it's very, very paranormal. Act you know, I can't, I didn't think about all this when we covered paranormal activity. And there's so much of this that I'm like, dear God, why didn't we mention this during paranormal activity? <laughs> and I feel like an idiot because this is, this is one of my all time favorite films and I've seen it a ridiculous number of times. And like I said, it had to have been before I had kids though. Yeah. So I've, I've had a little bit of a break on it and that would be like the paranormal activity window. So when we did paranormal activity, I didn't think about it, but like just some of the, like the, 
some of the gags and stuff they do for special effects, like the way the children act, like it was, I'm not, this, this goes back to Twilight Zone episode 91. This was not a ripoff, but they were obviously heavily influenced by fucking Poltergeist. Exactly. So she ends up putting her hands on the TV screen, which is that iconic shot. And we go to opening credits. Yeah. We're outside. This is the Spielberg opening. Yeah. The suburban (laughs) sprawl. We're a couple of streets over from Elliot's house. Um, (laughs) What's it called? Cuesta Verda? Yes. Cuesta Verda. And uh, there's that tree in the middle of the street that always bothered me that they just paved around it. And But whatever. I could show you an area in town here where they did that. Though. I don't know why people okay. do that. Like the nicer neighborhoods, they do it. I guess it's to the aesthetic. Um, I don't know. Because it's hoity-toity. You <laughs> highfalutin people that are more educated and make more money than me. Um, wow. So we've got the... Well, I, I thought I went from condescending to polite. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. We've got... We've got the beer run, which has nothing to do with the movie, but I have to talk about it because yeah. dude's got the case of beeries on on the bike, which is like two sizes too small for him and shit. <laughs> it's like a BMX bike. Yeah. I, I have to say a few years ago, it was before I had kids, my wife and I decided to get bikes and we'd go ride together and exercise. And she's smart and she got like a mountain bike when we were at the store. I was like, fuck that. I'm going to get a BMX bike. I love these. And then I had my ass like fucking <laughs> on this thing and we're trying to go uphill and I'm fucking dying. And she's just like, just riding up the hill and she's making fun of me and telling me I look ridiculous like a large <laughs> child. And I'm like, this is more exercise. I'll be in better shape than you. That bike made it like three weeks and I've never rode it since. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, some kids like go after him with some RC cars and he drops the beer and he, he picks it back up and he goes running in the house and there's beer spraying everywhere. everywhere. But he makes it to the football game with the beer. That's the important part. It's really funny because the kids make the RC cars crisscross in front of his tires and he almost flips over the handlebars and he jumps a lot of beer. He didn't even yell at the kids. He just picks up what's left of the beer yeah. and runs in for the fucking game. Man <laughs> on a so mission, funny. dude. Yeah. Um, so we cut to, uh, we have the remote bit with the neighbor and all that shit where quit changing, move your set, move your set. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is kind of brave because, uh, I mean, he's the main real estate agent for the neighborhood and like I know, runs right? the company. It's like, this guy's in charge of shit and you're yelling at him, you know, but. So we cut to, uh, Diane and she discovers dead Tweety in the star Wars commercial. Yeah. That's my joke. The room. Um, <laughs> one more thing that's on Robbie's side of the room though, is an alien poster. Yeah. Um, which is really weird because it's all Lucas, 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 Ridley Scott, Lucas, Lucas, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, ILM might've fucking personally put all the star Wars shit in there for all we know. I know yeah. yeah. But what's funny is she's standing there and she's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Tweety. Could you have died on a school day? <laughs> and, uh, she's going to flush it and Carol Ann walks in. It's like, Oh shit. And, uh, supposedly the shadow of Tweety at that moment when she's holding it over the toilet is in the shape of a shark for a jaws reference. I read yeah. about that. And another thing at the end that I wanted to go back and double check. Cause I'd never caught before and I didn't have time to do it. I feel bad. <laughs> but, um, of course, so now they're going to have to do a funeral for the bird. Cause you can't do this in front of the kid. So, um, we see Robbie, he's outside climbing the creepy ass tree with the Freddy Krueger face <laughs> on the side of it. And, uh, is it Freddy Krueger face or a cane face? Uh, huh? and, and well, Hold on to that thought until we get to three. Um, <laughs> I, I actually have a uh, Freddy Krueger reference for two when we get there as well. Really? Yeah, I do. Sweet. There was the cute little scene uh, in the kitchen, though, when they're prepping the cigar box to bury the bird. Yeah, yeah. She does that for when he's hungry, for when he's when he's tired, and then... For when he's cold. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. It, it's pretty adorable to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's like, put a flower in there. 
and, and her mom's like, oh, honey, he can't smell a thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing about the parent dynamic of this from watching this as a young kid. Like there's so much of this shit that they just nailed. Yeah. So yeah. fucking good. It's almost like Spielberg did it. <laughs> so Robbie sees the storm in the distance coming while he's up in the tree. They're doing the burial. I think Dana's there eating a piece of celery too. Yeah. The funeral. She's like, can we get this over with? And they do the whole Caroline's doing the, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, that whole bit. <laughs> and Robbie's up in the tree. He's like, Hey, when it's all rotted, can we dig it up and see the bones? <laughs> Jesus. And, uh, as soon as it's over, Caroline's like, can I have a goldfish now? So it just shows the innocence of the kid and like the, the quick thinking yeah. of from A to B, like, okay, move on to this, which is cool. Did you notice that later in the room, she has a goldfish bowl with mm-hmm. goldfish in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I read online, she kept the fish after the movie. After the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so they go to put the, the younger kids to bed and, uh, we see quote unquote, the clown and, uh, Robbie throws his killer Chewbacca jacket. Yeah, it looks like a fucking members-only jacket with Chewie on the back. <laughs> and I fucking want one for a grown-ass man right now. And uh, so we've got the storm coming. And uh, actually, I don't think he's thrown over yet. Mom comes in first because Caroline is overfeeding the shit out of the goldfish. <laughs> I didn't catch that part. And uh, she's like... The clown uh, was in the room. I was already distracted. I was like, oh. No shit, right? <laughs> and uh, she's like, hey, hey, you can't overfeed them. Do you know what happens when you overfeed goldfish? They grow up to be sharks. So we got, <laughs> got two little Jaws references there real quick. But... Uh, we cut to mom. So the kids have been put to bed. Robbie's scared. The storm's coming. And we cut to mom and dad on that fucking bed. And I relate to this so fucking much because I can't tell you how many times growing up, I'd walk into my parents' room and they had that bed with the weird gold brass headboard. And my mom would be smoking one and my dad would be rolling one. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest here. When I was watching the fucking movie, I was like, there's Josh's parents right there. (laughs) Cause that's immediately what I pictured was my aunt and uncle sitting there hanging out, watching TV. Yeah. And we get some dynamic between them that they're a little goofy. And, uh, he ends up doing the Donald duck voice and like tickler and stuff. And my dad used to do that exact same thing. That one, I think he probably stole from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, um, cause your dad like poltergeist for a call. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask this is a kind of a running gag now on the, uh, on the show, but okay. was this one of the Jesus tapes and did it survive? Um, I can't recall if we ever had this on VHS. I just know somehow I saw this young. I, I feel like I watched this at one point in time with your father present. That's why I asked. I was just curious. <laughs> it may have been one of the ones that this, survived and it's PG. It's okay for him to watch it. That's this, how my parents would have thought. <laughs> this was also one that ran on PBS, I think, when we were kids, too, after after yeah, the fact. So. Possibly. But um, they do bring up the pool because uh, Diane is like, oh, what if uh, what if one of the kids just runs into the pool? We'll have to build a fence. Well, it's because they're talking about Carol Ann sleepwalking yeah. at night and talking in her sleep. She's like, I used to do that, my mom said. She's like, what if she walks into the pool, you know? So. Yeah. So, um we do see Robbie cover up the clown. I had my notes out of order there. Sorry. Well, my notes are fine. I'm out of order. But Robbie goes into mom and dad's room because he's scared because the storm's coming. And uh, they do the whole bit where dad's like, well, no, count in between the lightning and the thunder. Same thing my dad did with me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's normal thing. Like, it's, it's weird, well, man. It's just real relatable. When I was a kid, I remember learning that you could count to figure out the distance. But I like how... Robbie's scared because he thinks the storm's coming closer to the house and Steve tells him it's going further away. Yeah. And he's like, I bet if you count the numbers bigger every time, you know, so I was, I was, like the family dynamic is nailed in this movie, just like you said. And, uh, it's very reminiscent of ET. <laughs> yeah. 
but we end up getting this this thunder crack and the kids go straight to bed with mom and dad. But you think he's going to make it because they count to one and it's three and then they count to another one together and it's four and he's like, see, and he goes in the hallway. Steve does. And he's he's like spying on him and he counts and the numbers higher. And he's like, yeah, my boy did it. And then he, that's when he catches the daughter still on the phone. Yeah. And then it cut to the kids in the bed. And then I thought about the last three months of my fucking life with like one foot in my crotch and an elbow in my nose, sleeping with the kids <laughs> in the goddamn king bed. <laughs> and that's like when I got that first wave of this movie's different to me now. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so they're in bed and we get the sign off on the TV in the floor. Mm-hmm. And um, we hear the whispers in the static. And uh, Carol Ann makes her way down to the TV, and we do the little twinkling thing on the TV at first, followed by the hand that comes yeah. out, and it's all wispy and smoky, and it kind of makes its way over towards her and then turns into this bolt of energy that goes through her and into the wall above the bed. And so that's uh, how houses get haunted. It's just like that. <laughs> that's all you got to do. It's like making a baby. <laughs> of course, everything starts to shake. Everybody wakes up. And then Carol Ann turns around to the others and says the famous. So the next morning over breakfast, we got mom asking Carol Ann, uh, last night, honey, do you remember waking up and saying they're here? Who's here? Carol Ann's like the TV people. And uh, we get a back and forth between uh, Robbie and Dana. It's actually all three of the kids. They're just being kids and calling each other names and stuff. And then all of a sudden, Robbie's glass that he's holding just shatters. The bottom shoots out. And it's so free. It like jump scared me last night watching. (laughs) I've seen this movie so many times. It shoots out. I'm like, fuck. The funny part, though, is in the background, Steve's arguing with the like insurance company. This, This happens again later. He's like, what do you mean there wasn't? An earthquake, earthquake last yeah. night and stuff like it's that. Like, how did you not feel this? And uh, Robbie notices that uh, his silverware is bent. Yeah. And uh, while this is going on, the workers are in the backyard digging for the pool. And you see the cigar box with Tweety come out too when the bulldozer's pulling the dirt out. Yeah, like the first plow in. That grave didn't last long. <laughs> no, it did not. So mom goes up into the master bedroom and Ebuzz is up on the bed doing this thing that I swear I remember some of my dogs doing in one particular house. Like trying to get something's attention. Yeah. Like begging towards it. And he even leaves the room and comes back with a squeaky toy and drops it on the bed like, let's play. <laughs> so this is when mom goes back downstairs and we get the kitchen gag. <laughs> the birth of the kitchen gag. Once again, paranormal activity. She goes in when she first goes in because she had cleaned up after breakfast and all the chairs are like pulled away from the table. And yeah. Carol Ann's sitting there next to the little TV because she was looking at the static and mom's like, oh, you're going to ruin your eyes. And she puts on a war movie. And, uh, (laughs) and there's such good camera work and crew work here because the shot does not cut away. She walks around, she pushes the chairs back up. She comes back around the little Island jutting out and gets some cleaning products out from under the sink. And as soon as she stands up, all the tables are in this very uniquely stacked pyramid arrangement on top of the table. It's fucking awesome, (laughs) which is great. And which was done totally by a crew of people. They built the rig, had them all screwed together. And while the camera was paying just, just out of view, they yanked out all the other chairs and threw the rig up there. And, uh, she looks at Carol Ann. She's like TV people. Carol Ann's (laughs) like, "Uh uh-huh. She's very accepting of this. She is. Well, and it's because, you know, it starts off kind of Casper, the friendly ghostish. Exactly. One thing I thought about, and it didn't click until I watched part two immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. You remember when Steve sits in the chair and Kane's in the chair and throws him? I think there were ghosts sitting in the chair uh, at the kitchen table. Okay. Like it clicked when I got to the second one. That's why they weren't just pulling the, the chairs out. They were sitting there. Ah, uh, okay. Thought, you know, it's, I mean, it's uh, it's a theory, but it, it could work. I got you. 
But uh, Stephen comes home <laughs> and and Diane's like, I need you to go back, back in time, back to when you used to have an open mind. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> love that part. She does the bit show in the chair, setting it here, going across the floor. And she's got like lines drawn out and like little marks, like somehow they figured out this energy field in there. And then she has Carol Ann sit there with the fucking helmet on and she gets <laughs> pulled across the floor. I will say the marks on the floor and the wall and stuff kind of made me think of the Twilight Zone episode a little bit where the physicist comes uh, in and marks it off. But And uh, she's so into it. She's jumping up and down and she's happy. And she's like, it's like this tickling in your stomach. And then it gets stronger. And then it's like the tickling pulls you. And dad's like, I got, I got like a normal life. <laughs> Like oh, the, just, look on, the look on his face. Yeah, is his like, face, he's sitting there traumatized because he sit down like, and she's like, sit down and catch her. And, I, don't, I don't know how how to deal with this. And uh, and the wife's done the ride, obviously, because she's yeah. talking about the feeling. And in the midst of it, Carol Ann's like, mommy didn't make dinner. And she's like, it's okay, we'll go to Pizza Hut. So when you see that, that shot coming in on Craig T. Nelson sitting there and then it abruptly cut to them next door at the neighbor's house. It is literally the worst cut I've ever seen in my life. And supposedly it's because there was a line of dialogue there cut where Craig T. Nelson says, I hate Pizza Hut. Yeah. And they and, couldn't put it in there. So they cut it out. Yeah. And it upset Pizza Hut. Like, was is there Pizza Hut representatives that just hang out on movies? <laughs> It, it's probably in the screening process or something. I know, but, but still, that seems like a dumb thing to cut. I'm just, you got Spielberg, you got Toby Hooper. You got ILM. You've got all this money in the movie. Shitty cut. Could they not have reshot something? <laughs> I know, right? Could they not have just thrown them back in the kitchen and reshot the scene, right? Yeah. Or just faded. Like, do a fucking Star Wars fade out <laughs> or something. Or just dump the scene next door. Yeah. They, they could have even done that. They could have dumped that scene. Well, then it would have just shitty cut to something else. You still would have had it just stop yeah. in the middle of him talking. It's not... They don't just do a shitty cut. Like he's talking and not to the pizza hut line yet. And it interrupts them and goes to it. Yeah. And it's like, could they have waited three seconds? So there's a dead spot and then do the hard cut. Exactly. Um, the, the doorstep scene with the neighbors though, is pretty funny. Yeah. He's, cause they're, cause they're standing there next door and they're asking us like, Hey, have y'all noticed anything weird, any kind of disturbances, but they're slapping themselves in the <laughs> face the whole time. Cause they're being devoured by mosquitoes. And the dad's like, I've never been bit by one my entire life. How about you boy? Nope. Never have, Dad. And he's like, nah, I don't have my TV on right now. It's not me changing the channel. The kid who's sitting there eating the beans off of Dad's plate. Yeah. <laughs> so that night we get another storm and we get, quote unquote, the tornado comes. And uh, Does the tornado bother you? Like the quality of it? No, it just didn't make any sense. Well, it's supposedly explaining away things. Is I mean, that's, it? that's the only reason for it to exist. But why? I mean, Kane was trying to kill the family with the tree. Or the beast. We'll just say the beast at this point. Yeah. We're trying to kill the family of the tree. Why would he call in a tornado to skip the house to save the kid from the tree? Let's only look at the one movie, though. Because if, if we go into the, the, the backstory. Because right, so, right now it's like this happened the night before it was an earthquake. Yeah. This happens the next night. It was a tornado. Okay. That's, that's where my brain goes. All right. All right. It's still, I mean. It doesn't explain the branches crashing through the window, grabbing Robbie and pulling him out. I'll suspend belief a little bit on that, but I, I don't feel like that part was well written. I feel it's like kind of shoehorned in. So yeah, the storm's coming. Fucking Robbie's looking out at the creepy tree. Fucking tree busts through the window, grabs Robbie, pulls him outside. He's screaming like fucking crazy. The tree fucking shit up eats him. Yeah. Well, it's, we, uh, do you think this is inspiration for the Whomping Willow and Harry Potter? Because it's the first thing I thought of. I haven't. Which which Potter movie is that in? I don't like you right now. <laughs> oh, you poor lost soul. 
So Car- And this is where Carol Ann gets sucked into the closet. So Robbie's out having his throwdown with the tree. All the shit slowly starts getting pulled in, getting more and more violent as it goes. It looks badass, though. Yeah. Has the robot come to life yet, the robot toy? That's after all this. I just, well, I've, I've already jumped into it. Did you notice it sounded like the fucking gremlins? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so not crazy. Absolutely. Okay. It sounds like gremlins. Once they're drunken at the bar. <laughs> but uh, I know exactly what you mean, though. And uh, so by the time they run outside trying to get to Robbie, the tree's fucking eating him. Yeah. And uh, that really reminds me of Nightmare on Elm Street or Nightmare on Elm Street reminds me of that. The, the Freddy snake thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but Steven gets up there and pulls him out of the tree, pulls him down. We have the tornado come through. And uh, they go back inside and they realize they can't find Carol Ann and all this shit's been sucked into the closet. So they're digging everything out and they finally make it down to her with a blanket over in the closet and uh, they go and pull it off. It's that fucking clown. <laughs> and uh, I hate that clown. <laughs> and they do the, the nervous laughter thing and like mom does the nervous laugh and then Dana does the nervous laugh and she's like, I'll go check the kitchen. And dad's like, no, you won't. Nobody goes in the kitchen except for me. You go check your room. <laughs> So everybody takes off and yeah. Robbie's just standing there. And that's when we have the little robot walking across <laughs> the fucking floor thing. Yeah, the fucking gremlins it's laugh. It's gotta man. be the gremlins laugh reused because uh, Spielberg produced gremlins, right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, he had to throw that in there. But we get, uh, we get to the point where Diane's like, oh my God, the swimming pool, the swimming pool. Yeah. She thinks she sleepwalked into yeah. it, right? So they go and check there. Still nothing. But while they're out there. Robbie makes his way up into the master bedroom and he hears Carol Ann. Yeah. And he does that thing that I remember doing as a small child. I don't know about you where you're so fucking scared. You have no voice. <laughs> and he's like, mom, mom, mom. And it just won't come <laughs> out. And, uh, three days ago I could have done that fucking awesome. <laughs> you did it pretty good now. <laughs> Involuntarily. <I> could have. <laughs> so they come in there and she's relieved. She's like, Oh, Carol Ann, where is she? And, you know, it's coming from the fucking TV. So we get, we cut to Steven going to see the parapsychologist. And whenever I see this shot, I immediately think Ghostbusters when they're at the university. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) I mean, even the outside shot, the outside shot. And then even in the room, it's like, I feel I'm at the same university where the Ghostbusters were. I immediately thought the same thing. But instead of having Bill Murray hitting on the chick with the cards and zapping the guy, we got Beatrice straight being Dr. Lesh. Okay. I love her character. Yeah. She's awesome. She... She actually reminds me of your mom in a way. Okay. If that, if that makes sense. Once, I don't remember my mom having the flask of booze to calm things down. But. No, 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 not in that respect. But when she gets, gets to be in the more of the nurturing part, when she's like, I am not leaving here without helping you. So they bring him over and they're walking up or the, the pros, the crew comes over and uh, he's taking them upstairs and uh, they're talking about some of the amazing things that they've encountered. And it's like, <laughs> I love this part. Like, the small matchbox toy car rolled seven feet or 14 feet across, whatever it was. And it's like, it was like, it, it took, uh, it took over seven hours for what? For the vehicle to complete the distance. <laughs> nearly unrecognizable by the human eye, but we got it on time-lapse camera. And Craig T. Nelson has got his hand on the uh-huh. door and he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> he, I mean, all the actors for the most part are good in this movie and in the sequels, most of the actors are good, but the mom and the dad. And oh, so phenomenal. Everything, everything Craig T. Nelson does. It's just like, yes. I, just, I love that, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah watch some real shit yeah <laughs> he opens and the door he opens the door to reveal what must have been countless hours of effects work and compositing you know because yes. you've got what is the hulk riding a horse 
the, the things that come up close. We've got the lamp going into the lampshade and the light turns on. I love how the lamp uh, screws the bulb in or into the shade and comes on. That part's like one of my favorite things. Yeah. Just everything's just floating around the, the fucking room. The compass on the record that plays the creepy song and comes yeah. flying by. I mean, it's straight up bonkers in and there. And their face is like, oh. Yeah. I really feel like the Insidious movies. When she comes in and she brings specs and the yeah. other guy, I feel like they were influenced slightly I, by this trio. I can definitely see and that. And by this scene. And this is one of those things, once again, I'm not saying they ripped it off. I just feel like even Marty and specs in some ways kind of reminding each other yeah. and stuff. So I don't know. But uh, we get a quick cut to downstairs at the kitchen table and the pros are uh, shaken <laughs> and shaking, or at least Dr. Lesh. Is that yeah, it? it's okay. Dr. Lush. I wish her first name was mentioned so I could just say that, but whatever. And because uh, she's got like the teacup, and uh, <laughs> they're sitting there, and it's like the question isn't whether or not your house is haunted. And then the coffee pot slides across the table, and of course the guys are looking under the table, like you looking know, for to magnets or something. Yeah. yeah. And then the light flashes. Joe Beth Williams is like, "Oh, there'll be another one in a few seconds. They always travel in pairs." And then the other one happens and Marty tries to take the picture, but he's got the lens cap on still. <laughs> She's like, you got to be faster than that in this house. So like the parents have obviously accepted everything that's happening. Exactly. And uh, I, I, when they visit him at the paranormal investigator office before they come in the house, I do want to point out, <laughs> he says they haven't even gone to the police yet because they don't think anybody will believe him. Yeah. But that, I mean, that between those two scenes makes me think some time has passed a little bit at least. Yeah. Because isn't Dana staying at a friend's house and shit like that? I think he well, specifically says that. Well, he yeah. says that, yeah, she spends a lot of time at friend's house. But most importantly, they go through the whole thing and the difference between a poltergeist and a haunting. Yeah. And a poltergeist usually attaches to a person and a haunting usually attaches to a place. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is really funny because when it's all said and done, the name of the movie's wrong. Yeah. Which is, it's just ironic. I don't know. I, I ignoring the sequels, I'm going to take it back a step because I had only seen the sequels once or twice each before the podcast. I rewatched them for this. Okay. When they specifically say that Carol Ann was born in the house, mm -hmm. it kind of made me think that the beast or the main poltergeist or whatever had latched on to her because of that. Like, yeah. I think that's what they were getting at. She yeah. was the connection. And they, they allude to that in the third one. Actually, I think they might even outright say it. Yeah. I mean, the, without me having a great memory of the sequels, that's the first thing I thought was the house is haunted for the reasons we'll get to later. And she was born in this house and she's also the small child and she's like the gateway. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Well, yeah, because they're attracted to her life force. And so it could still be a poltergeist. Oh, I just wanted to make the joke. And if you think about <laughs> it, the poltergeist went through her through the TV to infect the house when yeah. you saw it come out. So I mean, it's a it's a bit of this, a bit of that. Yeah. So the group goes into the living room. Yeah. And, talk, and that's when Steven's given the whole breakdown. Oh, no, we've been stay, sleeping in here. Actually, is it Joe Beth Williams that's saying it? I don't remember. What Regardless, are the yeah. we're sleeping in here. Dana spends a lot of time with friends. The guys see E Buzz. Yeah. Interacting with something again down the hall or whatever. Because the guys are just fucking mesmerized this entire time. Yeah. They're the non slapped stick version of the insidious guys. That's really are. what I kind of oh, get out of it. And uh, not Marty. What's the other guy's name? Ryan. He's got the black and red striped sweater. Yeah. I, I was watching this and I was like, this looks absolutely nothing like a Freddy Krueger sweater. But I bet Josh is going to say it looks like a Freddy Krueger sweater because if you have a shirt with fucking stripes on it to Josh, it's a Freddy Krueger sweater. Damn right. And if you go back and look <laughs> at Scream 2, his sweater looks like the one that's hanging in the background in the dorm. Ah, I have to look. It's dark, um, it's dark blue in that one. But whatever. Yeah, I'm the guy. I see Freddy everywhere. It, it's red and black and it, it's not even a sweater. It was a long sleeve shirt. 
Whatever. I don't wear them, so they're all sweaters to me. I'm taking this from you. (laughs) (laughs) 50 points from Gryffindor. (laughs) But at any rate, Carol Ann comes to the TV, and uh, she talks about the light. Dr. Lesh is like, tell her to stay away from the light. Tell Tell her to get away from the light. So they do that, and we have this, like, portal open down at the bottom of the stairs, and some trinkets fall through to the floor. Oh, and the ceiling. Yeah, it's not, like, at the yeah. bottom. It's on the ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. but it's at the, the trinkets fall to the bottom of the stairs. Yes. Carol Ann says, there's someone here, Mommy. And we get, Diane kind of walks up the stairs a little bit, and then there's this gust of wind that goes through her. And she's like, oh, my God, my baby passed through me. I, I can smell her, smell my clothes. She passed yeah. through my soul. Like it's And then the score by What's-His-Nuts is not his name. <laughs> Jerry Christ. Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, that sounds right. It's a real uplifting part. And, like, that's almost a tearjerker for me every time I get to that part. It's a very emotional scene, and Joe Beth Williams fucking nails it. Yeah. Like, that would that is what a distraught mother would look like to me in that scenario. Well, and then we hear the Toby footsteps. <laughs> I can't help it now, man. I'm looking for it now. Did they name Toby after Toby Hooper because of like the poltergeist are, influence? Are we learning stuff that's common <laughs> knowledge to other people that are laughing at us right man, now? Man, I did so much research before we did paranormal activity. There's no way I didn't read that. If but that was I, didn't, a thing. I didn't even go there, man. That's awesome. But, but we do hear these massive footsteps after yeah. she's saying there's someone else here and she runs down the stairs. And then all of a sudden there's this friggin' growl and this blast down the stairs and everybody standing downstairs gets blown over. They even did like the Kung Fu movie <laughs> thing where they put the dust in the hair and shit to, yeah. to emphasize the blast. Dr. Lesh asked, where was Carol Ann last playing at when she disappeared? And, uh, Joe Beth Williams is like, that's actually another weird cut. Cause everybody gets blown down and then it's right to them talking. I don't remember that one seeming unnatural. Not as unnatural as the other one. But uh, <laughs> she's saying, you know, it was in her closet, but they won't let you go up there. And that's right, right around the same time that Marty walks up and he's like, I just tried to go in the closet and something took a bite out of me. Yeah. And he's raising up his shirt and he looks like he got bit by a shark. It's it's a huge bite, Mark. Yeah. This is making me think of paranormal activity. The prequel one. What is this? Is that the third one? Yeah. Crazy shit's happening tonight, man. I wish we had covered Poltergeist yeah. before we covered paranormal activity because fuck. But uh, this is about the time. Dana is like to the point of hyperventilating as all this is going on. She keeps crying more and more. She has to go stay at a friend's house, but we learn later where she really was. Um, <laughs> I love that throwaway line. <laughs> so the, the pros huddle and hypothesize. That's what I, I call the, the parapsychologist. That if the ceiling is the way out, maybe somewhere else in the house is the way in. Dr. Lush ends up explaining the whole thing about the ghosts and the light. And that on the spectral plane, there's the light. That's the way to the other side, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. That's why we got to keep Carol Ann out of there for now. There ends up being a conversation between Joe Beth, Dr. Lush and Robbie about people on the other side and why are the ghosts there? And do you, you know, if there's an angry person in school, sometimes they're just still angry. Some of them are lost and just want to go home. And Robbie's the one that ends up saying, well, if I got killed, you could tie a rope around me and maybe I could find Carol Ann and you could pull me back out. So he's the one that comes up with the idea right around here is where we get the craziest to me, the craziest thing in the movie with it being PG, how this didn't get cut and it not be R. So Marty's sitting there at their little command console. They've set up in the living room and he's polishing off a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> and uh, it's a weird looking bag of Cheetos to me. It looked more like uh, what I remember Cracker Jack boxes looking like. No, man, you don't remember the, the red and white Cheetos bags? No, I don't. I just remember the orange ones with Chester on them. Early fat kid over here. <laughs> um, 
But he goes to raid the kitchen, and if you think about it, this guy is such an asshole. And this he's scene like, bothers me. Like, okay, you want a snack, but... <laughs> I know! And he looks, and he's like, leftover chicken, and he puts the drumstick in his mouth. Nice steak. Takes he, a whole porterhouse out know, of there, man. And he throws it on the counter, and he turns around, and he notices the steak kind of inchworming across the counter, which, of course, was done through a slot in the counter and two little sticks. And Yeah. Steak like starts crawling out of itself. It's fucking freaky, yeah, man. It's really weird shit. And while this is going on, he spits out the drumstick and like, <laughs> what the shit's going on? And looks down, and we got maggots, maggots Michael. Dude, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> maggots, Marty, you're eating maggots. How do they taste? <laughs> For whatever reason, he I don't know. He runs in. I don't know why. There's a sink. It's like a closet, but it's like a utility closet. So there's one of those sinks in there, the big plastic sinks. I don't know why he goes to that one instead of the one in the kitchen, but whatever. So he goes in there. Because they need a mirror. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> thank you. And uh, the light above his head starts going real fucking bright. And this is where we get the Terminator scene where <laughs> he just starts. He finds Ste- like a blemish on his face yeah. and he picks at it and it falls Steven apart. Spielberg goes to town ripping apart this prop head. Have and- you seen the still? Like the picture of Spielberg doing, like you can see the the wax doll, the grin, the shit eaten grin yeah. on Spielberg's face as he's fucking just ripping this face apart, and it, it's very reminiscent to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which he had made a year yeah. before this, right? So, yeah. so we get that, and then there's this flash, and he realizes that he's back to normal. Yeah, you know what's the most fucked up part about that scene to me is whatever the gooey hunks fall in the sink, yeah, grosses me out worse than the face getting ripped apart. It's like, Bleh. yeah. Totally. While this is going on in the living room, we've got the camera that pans up to the top of the stairs and this light comes down and forms into this like ethereal angelic being thing that floats down the stairs. Yeah. And, and Ryan's completely fucking oblivious to it while he's rocking out. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know what he's listening to, but he's definitely into it. I think that no, the door opens upstairs and then all this shit happens. Um, so it's like something coming from, yeah. from the, the kids room. And, uh, Marty's trying to get Ryan's attention, right? And then the light starts waking up Dr. Lesh first. Yeah. And then the parents. And I think Ryan, he focuses the camera. Or the, the camera already focused yeah. itself up. By the time they're all paying attention, the thing makes it to the bottom of the stairs and goes up into the portal. And uh, it's, it's really cool they shut it because it's like an angelic woman kind of yeah. walking down the stairs. And it makes me think of Ghostbusters a lot, the way the effects were done. Yeah. But you also have these like orbs of light flying around her, right? Which, and that's very Ghostbusters-esque yeah. as well. Well, you had the same effect supervisor on both movies. So. Yeah, okay. But uh, I don't, it's really cool. And then the playback, like when they do the playback, yeah. it's fucking awesome. And so, and when they do the playback, so they're like, roll back the tape. And it's, you actually see these people walking down the stairs, which if you go into the sequels, it's the followers of Kane. At least it seems to be. So I wonder if... Just to date it, they made it like these Quaker-looking people with the hats walking down the stairs, if Spielberg and Hooper did it that way, or if they already had intentions of Kane. No. I don't know. Because, I, I mean, they, the people who made the second one could have just saw that and decided fucking, hey, I'm going to base it off of that. There's actually older stills of the original concept art of the beast face coming through the doorway. It was supposed to be an old man. And it was an old man. So yeah, that yep. might've already been planned. So the next morning is when we get Dr. Lush saying that Marty will not be back, <laughs> but she's going to go get help. And uh, he's done seen some shit. He has. He really got the shit into the stick out of everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a taxi picks up Robbie and Ebuzz, and we get this really weird line out of Joe Beth Williams and it's always bothered me because she's like, Robbie, call me. Okay. 
Like, like she's saying bye after a first date or some shit. It's yeah, she's so, like, call, I mean, it, it's, the, you, you know, we didn't I have know. cell phones. Your mom's like, call me when you get there. I know. I was more shocked that they stuck an eight-year-old in a taxi and sent him over to his grandma's by himself. I but. was more shocked that the taxi driver let the dog get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the status quo is with dogs in a taxi. So, <laughs> But um, this is when we get Steve's boss coming by. Yeah. And uh, he's like asking, like, "Oh, is Carol Ann still sick?" And he's like, "Yeah, whole family's got the flu." While there's like a piano moving in the background, and yeah, shit. he's trying to turn them so he can't <laughs> see it. And uh, he's like, "I want to show you something." And the way the editing and cinematography on this is fucking great. So they're up on a hill, and they're looking down at the subdivision below. And his boss, I didn't fucking write down his name. He's asking him. He's like, "How would you like? How does this look for a bay window? This could be your master bedroom." He's like, it's Mr. Teague, by the way, Mr. Teague. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's like, well, that sounds great for somebody up here, but what about the people down there? And they got to look up, up here at the, the houses cutting into the hillside. I'm like, hey, I guess it'll be all right. And like, hey, man, this would be cool. Guy's going to get a promotion. You know, all, all things are well. Yeah, because Mr. Teague thinks that he's trying to get another job, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to give you this badass oh, yeah. fucking house. Because he's like, you're, you're responsible for 40% of it, all the sales you see down there or some shit like that. And this could be your house. This could be your view from your master bedroom. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so you're seeing the, from the other side of this picket fence the whole time while they're talking. And Craig T. Nelson turns around, puts his hand on the fence. He's like, not a lot of room for a backyard. And then there's this wide ass profile shot of them standing there with this big ass old creepy looking cemetery. Yeah. And it's so big in the frame. It's like foreboding. Like it has this presence. And, uh, he's like, we've already made arrangements for what to move the cemetery. The families can drive, see their loved ones seven mi- miles away and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like five minutes yeah. away. It's like, and, uh, I think Steve says something like, yeah, I'm sure they won't have a problem with that thinking about his house being haunted, right? Like those people. And he's like, who? Well, anyone that would be upset, I guess. And this is where we get the very good line from Mr. Teague. Yeah. We're just talking uh, bodies. It's not like it's ancient tribal burial ground or anything (laughs) like that. Which is really funny because this is one of those movies that just gets, like people misremember it a lot, Mm -hmm. non-horror fans. And you always hear people talk about, oh, the poltergeist house is haunted because it was on ancient Indian burial grounds. Yeah. And it wasn't. Like, no, it's just, it there's just no way that line. line. And then Taylor in part two. Yep. You know? And people, yeah. That's fuck it up. Mandela effect, man. I almost brought up on, uh, I'm so proud of you on the vampires episode when you kept saying interview with the vampire because it's almost always called interview with a vampire. And that's not the name at all, but so many people get it wrong. I saw that, and I even watched a couple of reviews where people said it, and I'm like, can you not fucking read? Yeah, I, I mean, I have trouble with it, so I understand. <laughs> and he's like, besides, it's not like we haven't done it before. It's like, what do you mean? Right down there. You have this aha moment yeah. of, well, that's fucked up. That's also, that conversation with Steven and Mr. Teague is also, like, Mr. Teague's the one that says, your daughter, Carol Ann, she was born in this house, right? Like, that's where that actually oh, yeah. got slipped in there. Okay. I don't feel like that was a throwaway line. I feel like that was with purpose. Yeah. But we cut back to uh, the pros coming back this time with Tangina, Zelda Rubenstein. I heard that she was actually like a psychic and medium before this. I read about that, that she allegedly was. I mean, had she done much acting before this? I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I do know she became a cult favorite. And she pops up in all sorts of shit after Poltergeist. I know. And what's sad is in the trilogy... You know, it's like her, her acting gets worse to me. Well, she wasn't even supposed to be in the second one. It was supposed to be Dr. Lesh again. Yeah. But Beatrice Strait was ill and couldn't do it. Yeah. So, which is sad. I think it would have been cool because she was the one that had like the bonding with the family. Yes. And it would have made more sense that she was the one doing the paranormal 
investigation under the house. Totally right? agree. Because like if you watch like modern day ghost hunting shows, it's always the team that does the investigation. Then they get into some shit and then yeah. they bring in the specialist. And then there's a different specialist, you know, in different episodes and shit. So it really should have been her. And Dr. Lesh was the one that went to go get Tangina. So it would have been fine that she knew an Indian shaman that she'd go get as well. Yeah, exactly. I know it's a Native American shaman, but he was called an Indian shaman. In the yeah. So Tangina immediately zeroes in on the bedroom and uh, she's asking, why is this door locked, Mr. Freely? And uh, he's standing there like thinking real hard. <laughs> he's Bethlehem. such an ass in this movie and I love every part of it. She's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you answering her? I was trying to answer with my mind. She didn't know the answer. And uh, she's like, I did. I just don't like trick answers. (laughs) And uh, so we know she's legit right out the gate. And she explains to Diane that she's going to need her to be strong and says that she needs to do everything she tells her to do, even if it goes against her beliefs as a Christian. Yeah. Like, that's some heavy shit being raised in a Christian household. She explains that the others are attracted to Carol Ann's life force, and she's a false light. Yeah. So, of course, they'll keep following her. They've been following her around for weeks. Sorry, that's later on. But (laughs) I love that line. And, um... That's what's going on here is like it's the one thing they don't have. She also explains that there's a dark force with her. And to Carol Ann, it's just another child. But it lies to her. It says things to her that only a child would say. But to us, it is the beast. Right. And I always associated that with Satan himself just because of being raised in the church. You know, the beast is the the all-powerful demon Satan. Yeah. So they go upstairs and they get everything prepped up. And she tells them to call out to Carol Ann and get her to run towards the light. And goes, this is the plan. We're going to get him. We're going <laughs> to always picture like in this foggy plane. I don't know if you did watch the movie, especially as a kid. And there's like all these little demons and ghosts that are like literally following her. And she's like, nope. And just hang a left at the last minute. And they're all going to fall into the light. I would love to see a parody of the scene with John Madden fucking doing the play by play on the board. <laughs> You're going to cross over here and then you're going to do a fucking letter wall. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, uh, and uh, it, it, it's really kind of, that's also a semi-emotional scene too, because you have the whole, but you said to tell her to never go into the light. Yeah. She's like, listen to me, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So uh, she says, you know, the infamous line, now clear your minds. It knows what scares you. <laughs> and they throw the tennis balls, one, one marked one and one marked two, they go into the closet and out the portal downstairs, which now has like some rope or wire around it. I really wish they'd they explained marked it off. That. They marked it off. Yeah. And Ryan's down there to catch the balls. One thing that I really want to point out that we glossed over earlier, all the jewelry that fell through earlier in the movie, they try to figure out where they're coming from. And they're like, well, this one was made five years ago and this one a hundred years ago. Yeah. And that starts to come into play. Now that you know about the graveyard and stuff like that, it's jewelry from people who are buried. Exactly. Right, right? And that's when you, when you get that moment, like, I don't know. That was one of those where like, I, I'm sure I've thought that before, but like watching the movie again for the first time in like five or six years, getting that like epiphany when it happened, yeah. you know, I was like, Oh, it's the fucking jewelry from the graves. <laughs> you know, I was excited, but, uh, they start to get set up with the rope and, uh, Tangina is going to go in mm-hmm. and Joe Beth Williams is arguing with her. And she's like, she's never going to come to you. And, uh, she's like, but you've never done this before. And Joe Beth Williams like, Neither have you, because <laughs> what's going on here is there's so much noise in this scene. Yeah. And all these fucking lights, which on the behind the scenes, they did like a bunch of strobe lights and flashlights and lights through fish tanks and yeah. all this shit. Uh, and you notice in the background, like Steve's like marking the rope in some way, I guess, yeah. it's to know how far they've gone. Yeah, the footage on it. And uh, so she's like, you're right. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love the piece of dialogue. And so she goes into the closet. Dad's got the rope. Well, the rope, they throw it through and it goes all the way through, but he's got the other end of it. 
So then Tangina starts saying her thing, you know, crossover children, all are welcome. Go into the light. There's peace and serenity in the light. All are welcome. And Steve freaks out. Yeah. He's like, no, no, you told her not to go into the light. And he starts pulling on the rope. And she's like, Steven, no. And this fucking crazy ass giant vein covered fucking gave me nightmares out my ass fucking <laughs> skull comes out of the closet and uh i shit you not man that right there gave me nightmares just the um, clown for me <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know when the change was from the old man face to that but thank god it was that because i think old man face would have been slapsticky yeah so carol ann and joe beth williams fall through the portal downstairs they get him into the bathtub I love how the mom is always Joe Beth Williams to you in this. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I said Diane a couple of times. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I just wanted to prove I remembered her name. <laughs> you should have seen me in my notes, man. I'm like, Mom, Diane, Joe Beth. Fuck it. Mom. Oh, you always rotate names on somebody. And then we get the, the famous line. This ass is clean. And she's, she, they get the camera on her, right? It's like her camera op. And she's trying to fix her fucked yeah. up hair and shit when she says it. <laughs> her beehive hair. And um, so we cut to the next morning, and this is part of what I fucking love so much about this movie. And I'm sorry, I know I'm talking about this movie for way too long. It's, I mean, it's a fantastic fucking <laughs> film. But uh, the next morning, they're packing up, and it feels like we're fixing to get our our hug it out, everything's okay credits. Yeah, and it feels okay. The movie's done. We went through some shit. We got the girl back. I'm ready for credits. This is fine. And uh, that's not what happens. So we've got Dana giving Diane crap about her gray hair. Yeah, yeah. Like Nightmare on Elm Street or Evil Dead. This is pre-Nightmare on Elm Street, though. That's my point. It all comes back to Poltergeist, man. It all comes back to Poltergeist and fucking Evil Dead, man. I love Dana's line right here. Um, About the Holiday Inn? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I remember that place. (laughs) What? Yeah, because Mom Seller's like, oh, we're going to stay, blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, I remember that place. She shows up later with a big ass hickey on her neck. I know. <laughs> so Steve says that he's got to go to the office and do something, but he'll be back later. Diane puts Robbie and Carol Ann in bed and she's going to go dye her hair, presumably, because she's reading instructions and shit and running a bath. So tonight, even though shit's packed, the fucking clown <laughs> is still sitting in the chair. You know, one of the creepier clown scenes to me is I don't remember if it's the night with the storm and they're counting the lightning. But the camera pans around and the clown's like in the bed with Carol Ann and one scene she's got her arm around it. It's like it's her doll and she sleeps with it. And I'm like, why the fuck would you sleep with that thing? (laughs) Also, who the fuck found that thing? I know, right? So he goes to throw something over this damn clown that's still here, but this time he misses. (laughs) He's extra freaked out. And it shows Carol Ann and she rolls over and she's got this doll next to her on the pillow with a decapitated head that's like 10 inches higher up the pillow. (laughs) But the look on her face and she reaches over because I don't... Chewing on something or got something in her mouth and she's just kind of smiling. She grabs the doll's head and just slides it down the (laughs) pillow back to where it belongs. I'll just love that shot. But anyways, so Robbie hears some noises and notices the clown's missing. (laughs) And he does that scene that puts fear into the hearts of all children that saw this movie. That when you look under the bed, the fucker's really behind you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's exactly what happens. And he actually (laughs) gets attacked by the clown and it pulls him under the bed and the bed starts shaking. And I think this was when the strangling thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't keep the take where he almost got choked to death. They would these days. (laughs) Bitch about being PC and then leave shit like that in the movie. But anyways, this is when Diane gets assaulted and we get the gimbal room yeah. and cause she's laying in bed and she's just got like a Jersey shirt on and it starts getting pulled up and something is kind of bouncing on her in the bed. And then she all of a sudden starts going up the walls. She makes her way back all the way around the room and out the door and the door sh- slams 
Well, while this is going on, Robbie fucking gets some cojones and starts ripping the fucking clown apart. And he's yeah. like, I hate you. I hate you. And he's ripping the stuffing out of him. Like, yeah, you get him, kid. He's, he's <laughs> who I related to as a kid. And uh, so the closet opens, sucks a chair in, and then slams shut real quick. And then we start getting the light and the, the tentacles yeah. coming around from the door frame. And that part's done really well. Yeah. And uh, Diane tries to get to the door, but it's blocked by the hallway monster. I call it the hallway monster. I fucking love the hallway monster. Um, <laughs> it's on Josh's shirt right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And I already said in an earlier episode that they had it at fucking Halloween Horror Nights when they did the poltergeist house twice. And it was a puppet <laughs> and it was still fucking awesome. You can tell looking at it, it's definitely an underwater puppet and then composited it in. But just it's human-esque and dog-esque. It's just a, just enough off that it's, right. it's uncomfortable. So she ends up falling all the way down the stairs into the living room and she goes to grab the rails and she gets shocked and uh, she goes to grab something else and gets shocked again and thrown across the room. And uh, she runs in the backyard screaming for the neighbors to help. And this is when she falls in the pool (laughs) and she falls in the pool and fucking skeletons start fucking popping up and she's freaking the fuck out and she's completely surrounded by them. And even a coffin fucking comes popping up and flops open with another fucking skeleton and uh, she eventually makes her way out of the pool on uh, a hose, like a, from a pump or some shit, and climbs out. She gets back into the house, and we get the the long hallway shot, the camera trick, where they, they go wide as the dolly moves in or however the fuck they do it. I'm sure there's a name for it. So I didn't know if they did, like, a, like it was a set, and it was, like, an accordion hallway, and they pulled it down. I wasn't sure how they did yeah. it, but it's fucking freaky. Looking. Yeah. So she eventually makes it all the way down to the end of this long hallway, and she flings the door open and gets sucked up into the air because... There's a full-on vacuum fucking <laughs> session in, in there again. But this time, the door's gone. And, of course, she's pulled up in the air. Robbie's pulled up in the air. Carol Ann's pulled up in the air. And what do we see but Japanese tentacle porn? Exactly. <laughs> we get the we get the claws and vag and then the, the tentacle coming out of it. I mean, a lot of people call it that. But uh, we got to walk through it at Halloween Horn. That's fucking creepy. Um, <laughs> so Diane grabs Robbie. Robbie grabs Carol Ann. She manages to pull them all into the hallway. And uh, they're going to make their escape. And uh, while this is going on, Steve comes home and his boss is dropping him off. Yeah. Mr. Teague. Yeah. Okay. And the neighbors I'll are out there too. Because the, the neighbors came out to help her and yeah. she sees the lights flashing upstairs. And yeah. Stuff, right. And by now all the lights are flashing all over the house and the, the little lights out front and all that shit. And all this noise, all this screaming like, oh my God, your children. Mr. And, Teague's funny too. Because like, I, it might've been the earlier scene with the lights are getting brighter. He's like, get an electrician. Look at this. I think that was earlier though. Oh yeah. He's like, what do you got in there? A 300 watt bulb? <laughs> you trying to attract every moth in the city or some shit <laughs> like that. So. He goes to run into the house and fucking coffins start popping up everywhere. They block the front door. They block the side. They're coming up in the kitchen. They're coming up in the fucking side yard everywhere that he tries to run or that uh, mom and the kids try to run. (laughs) It's like, is this where Steve starts getting fucking mad at his boss? He's like, you moved the goddamn headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. Yeah. He turns around. He's like, you only moved the headstones. Why? (laughs) Why? But it's so great. I'm not making fun of it. It's so awesome. And Mr. Teague, the look on his face is like, just, (laughs) just paralyzed in fear. Like what the fuck is going on? Like, man, you're fixing to see more than this. (laughs) And, um, so they get in, they get into the family car and it won't crank. And they finally get it to crank and another fucking coffin comes flying out of the garage door <laughs> and a skeleton flies out of it into the windshield. So good. And uh, they pull off into the street just as Dana's getting dropped off. And this is where we get that awesome shot of her in the street screaming, what's happening? Yeah. What's happening with that big ass hickey? Robbie is looking at the house and they're telling Dana to get in the car. And Robbie's like, just, go, just, go. Just drive, drive away, daddy. Drive away. <laughs> 
But they get her in the car, and they drive off as the whole neighborhood's going bonkers. There's shit exploding, fucking cars flipping over. Fireballs shooting down yeah. the street. Just all kinds of craziness. And Mr. T looks at the house, and it, like, shoots this fire ring thing at his face. And the house just fucking slowly collapses in on itself into a single point of light. And it is fucking awesome. It is a really cool effect. Yeah. And they built this model and they shot it at that angle, but that was straight down. Yeah. And they had this industrial vacuum hooked up and all the pieces of the model tied to a hundred wires. Yeah. Under, under the house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they shot this shit at 300 frames a second and just hit the vacuum, pulled the lines and had two guys shoot it with shotguns. (laughs) And growing up, I always wanted to know how they did that. And I'll admit until researching for this fucking episode, I still didn't know. Oh, okay. And uh, and they played it back at, you know, 24 frames a second or whatever, and it gave the effect. And it looks so good. It still looks great today. I didn't even know about the shotgun part. I knew they pulled it in. I knew they had the vacuum to suck the debris up and stuff. But yeah, yeah. it's fucking awesome. And um, of course, we cut to the Holiday Inn and the family up on the walk going into the room and they shut the door. And the door opens right back up and the fucking TV cart gets pushed out in there and the door shuts. And we pull away. We get Carol Ann's theme and credits. And I'm so sorry. I feel like I talked about this movie for way too effing long. I had to. It's so damn good. I can't leave shit out. There are some things that you could say, oh, well, that blah, blah, blah. Oh, this shot doesn't hold up. This is one of those movies that it just fires on all fucking cylinders and... It's great from start to finish. Everything is fucking fantastic. All the people involved in it. Like, you know, you had, that's the thing. It's a horror movie with fucking Spielberg and Hooper and Industrial Light and Magic and Kathleen Kennedy and all these people who make these giant fucking movies. I mean, I guess Toby Hooper to the lesser extent, but you know, all these big names working on a fucking horror film and everything worked out right. A lot of this, we, we were discovering it as we talk about the film, but how many things pull reference from poltergeist yep. that we didn't even fucking realize until we were talking about it. And I mean, this one is a classic and you'd be hard pressed to not find a fan of it. Yeah, totally agree. It's one of those that you don't have to be a horror buff. You don't have to be a gore hound, you know, none of that shit. It's just a good fucking movie. There's something in it for everybody. You care about the characters. There's enough shock value in it to be like, Oh my fucking God. Even as an adult. Yeah. Um, a whole new dynamic, as you mentioned as a father. Yeah. So that you can come at this thing from all angles. It was just. And every awesome. little thing, like just the skeletons popping out was another level. Of, oh fuck. Like yeah. so many little things they did. And this movie, it did spawn, you know, a trilogy. It unfortunately. Did. I did spawn a remake. <laughs> yep. And the remake, this, this is, you know, people's always like, oh, when they remake a movie, why do they change so many things? And I think Poltergeist, the remake was one of those things. That's what happens when you don't change yeah. that much. You just end up with a stale movie. There was nothing bad with the remake, but it just wasn't different enough. Yeah. I mean, Sam Rockwell was pretty cool as the dad and stuff. It wasn't a bad movie. It, it wasn't. Just, it just. It was just there. It's one of those that I always say it's not bad. I'd make the joke that it's poltergeist without a soul because yeah. it feels like there's something missing. But it's one of those that I can probably guarantee you it's because of my attachment and absolute love for the original that does that to me. That right. you could take someone that saw the remake first and then they'd watch the other one and be like, oh, I like this one better. It's cooler. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, that's definitely nostalgia factor there. But still an awesome movie. Yeah, so as great as this movie was, it did have two that followed it, and they are not as good, and uh, (laughs) there's not as much to be told about them. This is true. But we're going to cover them anyways. We are. 
I'm going to sound like a broken record on this podcast, but they should have stopped at the first one. I really don't fucking like sequels. Yeah. It's very rare that the sequels follow through. Paranormal Activity is one of those exceptions, for example. Um, This wasn't. (laughs) They should have saved the title for the third one because Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, and that line doesn't make that much sense to me in this movie. Makes a hundred percent sense when we get to the third one. And it's even said in the third one. True, but we do get to see the other side at the end of this movie. It's it's a different side, yeah. Or at least the in between. And this was eighty six, it was four years after the first one. Yep. We have almost the exact same principal cast. Unfortunately, we don't have Dana in the movie because like I said at the beginning, Dominique Dunn was killed by her boyfriend. And um, she's just not in the movie. In the script and in the novelization, it says she's away for college. Yeah. But they, they just, I guess they got cut or something. So that didn't make it in the movie. I don't know. I mean, like, what, what could have went wrong here, though? Uh, I mean, Steven Spielberg was back, right? Nope. Uh, we had Toby Hooper, at least? Uh, no. Uh, Industrial Light Magic still doing the special effects? Um, one of their guys. Uh, um, <laughs> so I guess all we were actually given was shame and disappointment with this movie. <laughs> and... Uh, the first one is definitely a horror movie and a family movie. But this one to me is just like that good versus evil family drama. It has a couple cool shots in it. Yeah. The, but, uh, I love the monsters. <laughs> the monsters look good. Any of the like random zombie scenes, like the the bathroom mirror or the the vacuum zombies <laughs> or you know like any of those random shots uh the the nightmare and them coming out of the ground. I like yeah. all that. I don't like most of the rest of it. I like fucking Taylor in the movie. Like, he was good. Like, I don't know. They have H.R. Geiger designed creatures. So you'd think that'd be fucking awesome, but they only used two of them and changed them greatly. Yeah. So he wasn't happy about that. You can actually go to his site and see all of his, like, original uh, design work. Yeah, the the artwork for it was much crazier than what they did. And did you see the thing where they talked about where he he couldn't come be on set or come to production meetings and that there was issues with translators and all this stuff. <laughs> I'm serious. So they tried to say that, that it was a miscommunication between okay. what he wanted and what ended up happening. I don't know, but yeah, you're right. The artwork looked even cooler, but I still like them. The fucking tequila worm fucking monster. It was that terrifying. and the beast they used and they had to use the beast because unfortunately Julian Beck died during yeah. the film of the movie, Reverend Kane. The movie was intended to be in 3D, so yep. you have scenes like the chainsaw and the beast and stuff that were meant to be 3D. They retconned the original reason for the haunting, and uh, I feel like it was done in a bad way. No. I don't know. And apparently God is in his holy temple, God in case you're wondering. in his holy temple. <laughs> There's not as much of a cool backstory for this one as the first one. Which happens a lot of times. No, this is Spaceballs to the search for more money. <laughs> and uh, I guess I got it in the movie summary, but do I really have to cover this piece of shit? You do. <laughs> you do. Well, we start off in like a canyon or a valley with some plateaus and we see some Native Americans. And it's really cool how they're on top of a plateau. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. And they got a fire and they're smoking that peace pipe, man. And the, I guess he's like the elder blows out the smoke and it looks like they're like souls or spirits maybe of their ancestors. Yeah. He's a shaman, right? Taylor's a shaman. So it makes sense. It's probably the spirits of the ancestors and he breathes in the smoke. I guess it gives them some power. And, um, uh, we cut to the, the site in, um, Cuesta Verda. Yep. Almost said Chula Vista. I would have been really wrong. Jesus. <laughs> but yeah. We cut. And, and of course it's just a lot of land and a bunch of fences First. and stuff holding it locked down and a hole with a ladder coming out. Yeah. And apparently Tangina's an excavator and <laughs> she's got a crew there and it was supposed to be Dr. Lesh. Yeah. Beatrice Strait was ill. Couldn't do it. It would have made a lot more sense to me. Yeah. She's the paranormal investigator, not the psychic. 
She had a lot of investment with the family. She would have had the connections. I don't know. No, but, I, I agree completely. Um, and also Richard Lawson was filming another movie. The guy that played Ryan. So he can't do it either. Okay. It would have been nice to have them too. I think it would have made it feel a little bit more whole. But uh, Taylor's called in. I guess he's a friend to Tangina. And uh, she knows people. Yeah, she knows people. And he <laughs> climbs in the hole. And what you find is a cavern full of like skeletons and like a chair and stuff like that. And obviously this is a mat. It's not a grave. They weren't buried. These people are sitting there holding each other. Yeah. As skeletons. It's kind of terrifying. I don't, it's shot in a way. I can't really describe it where he's like feeling things and sensing things. Right. Yeah. Obviously he's got some sort of latent psychic ability. Right. Uh, we cut to the Freelings and they're living at uh, Diana's mother's house, grandma Jess. And uh, we find out it's a year later. Yep. Steve is a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. Yeah. And he almost blows one up in his face. <laughs> How the hell am I going to sell this to a housewife? They're fighting the insurance company. And <laughs> apparently the house wasn't destroyed. It's missing. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what, is it going to fucking come back? <laughs> like, I, I told you not to write on here that the house was sucked up into nothing. It's like, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably where we would have found out Dana was going to college, but it just didn't get brought up. And I want to point out here real quick that as much as Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams were amazing in the first one, they feel just off the mark most of the time in this movie to me. But not all the time. Not all the time. I will agree. Joe Beth Williams, like scenes where she's psychic. I I don't, she's not acting them poorly. They're poorly written and they're out of place for her character. Craig T. Nelson, though, really gets to show off some acting chops later in this movie. And I can't wait to get to that part. We cut to like um, the family's eating lunch outside. I love this scene. And they're talking and making jokes. And Grandma Jess asked Carol Ann to hand her some color yarn. And Carol Ann's paying attention to everybody else and laughing. And she reaches into the yarn basket, which is full of multiple bundles of yarn that are different colors while she's smiling. And she pulls out the proper color. And Grandma Jess notices that and looks at her funny. So then she asks for another color. And Carol Ann reaches behind her and pulls that color out. And it's at the bottom of the basket without looking. And I think she's testing for her psychic abilities. And judging by your fucking face, you didn't catch this. I remember the scene and I remember her getting you. I guess I wasn't fucking listening because I remember her getting the yarn and just handing it. And I'm like, I didn't realize that's what was going on. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Those, there's only one bundle each for the colors the grandma asked for. Okay. And she pulls them out and they're not on top. Okay. So I don't, I mean, I'm sure they like, they were a different texture or something so she could feel for the shot and do it. But yeah, I mean, grandma just completely notices it and it's pretty fucking awesome. You find out, I mean, somewhere it's not necessarily right here, but grandma Jess is psychic. Yeah. She's pretty sure that Diane is psychic and that Carol Ann has to be psychic as well. We get introduced to Reverend Kane. It's a very well done scene. Fucking special effects. eh, It's a little dated, but it, (laughs) it, it works. There's an outdoor mall and Diane, Robbie, and Carol Ann are out shopping, and Carol Ann can see this guy in like a Quaker outfit walking, and he'll stop and people walk through him, or he'll walk through somebody, and she sees all this that's going on, and she gets separated from her mom and her brother, and then he pops up on her, and he starts talking to her. He's like, are you lost, little girl? Yeah. Why don't you come with me? And this, 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 and that. He's just so creepy, and I, part of it is his voice and his acting talent. The other way is the look of the poor man. And just knowing that he's yeah. suffering and dying of stomach cancer while he's doing the scene. I hate saying it, but the look just adds to the creepy factor. And um, yeah, not knowing that as a kid, when I first saw this one, he was just the most terrifying old man that I never want to run right. into. And my family went to a lot of churches in the woods. And <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I mean, yeah, we, I we went to some, 
I had to go with you. <laughs> we went to some off the beaten path places and I ran into people similar. And that's all I could think about as a kid was, oh my God, y'all are going to take me to a church somewhere and there's going to be this evil old man that's going to want to take my soul. <laughs> Unfortunately, like when Heather O'Rourke met him the first time for them to start filming scenes, she busted into tears crying because she was scared of him. Yeah. Because I mean, she was, so she was five in the first one. So she's, she'd only be nine yeah. when they're shooting this. So. But he's great. He's like, well, how about I just stay with you till your mother gets here? And he's holding her hands and he's singing some sort of hymn. And I'm sure it has something to do with God being in his holy temple. And, and he's just singing. And she's just like, oh. And then Diane and Robbie walk up. And they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you for you know staying with my daughter. And he, you know, he's like, yeah. no problem, my dear. And uh, the family walks off. She's an angel. Yeah, she's an angel. And the family walks off and Carol Ann looks back and people are walking through him again. Yeah. Right. So he's no longer solid or whatever. But they also, the, the Robbie and the mom saw him. Yeah. So he, he was there. I guess we cut back to the house. It's nighttime. Grandma Jess and Diane are talking and she's talking about the psychic abilities. I guess this is where she brings it all up. And I know you... You must have them too. And your daughter's so gifted. And she's like, I don't want my daughter to be gifted. I want her to be a normal girl. And um, and and basically they get in a slight argument and it yeah. ends with grandma Jess saying, but I'll always be here for you if you need me. And the family goes to bed and uh, Carol Ann wakes up next to her dad. Right. And she gets up and she goes walking through the house. This scene right here is very well done. This scene is one of the few scenes that feels like the first movie. I'll give you that. It has soul to it. Yep. She walks to the house. You're waiting on something fucked up to happen. And then yeah. she just walks in her grandma's room, who's very still asleep. <laughs> and she kisses her grandmother on the forehead, shuts the door, goes to her bedroom, crawls in her bed, and her toy phone that we saw earlier in the movie starts ringing. Yeah. So I, I totally skipped this, but there's no TVs in the house, right? Like when they're working on the oh, vacuum yeah. cleaner, Steve and Robbie are listening to a baseball game, and Robbie's like, we need a TV. He's like, we don't need a TV, son. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I guess they have to use the phone as their conduit to get to her instead, the toy phone yeah. instead of a TV, but her phone rings and Caroline gets out of bed and answers it. And she's talking to her grandmother. And I do not think this is Kane fucking with her. No, she's like, I'll, I will grandma. Oh, I love you too. Yeah. Yep. I'll be safe. And her grandma was calling her because she's passed away. We find out the next one. And when Robbie and Caroline go into the kitchen and, and Diane's crying and in Steve's arms, she's like, I just wish I had one more day with her because she hates that it ended on a fight. Yeah. Okay. So we no longer have grandma here. Well, Caroline hasn't been fucked with other than seeing the Reverend at the mall up until this point. Yeah. And I, and we know that grandma is psychic. So I feel like it's safe to assume that she was like psychically protecting the family and the house and she's gone now and the assault can begin. Yeah. But we cut to that night and we have the same shit from the first one though, right? Since grandma Jess isn't there to protect them, like the, the fucking noises going on, there's banging, the toys are coming alive again. The robots yeah. have the gremlins laugh and, uh, <laughs> the family's freaking out and, and Steve's like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. We know the drill. Yep. Right? And he gets them all together and they open the door and run into Taylor, scares yep. the shit out of Steve. He's trying to help them. And, uh, I think he says Tangina sent him and he's like, you tell the fucking magic munchkin high <laughs> shit like that. We're getting the car. We're leaving. And I don't remember if the car is angry at this point because Taylor, that, there's a running gag. Yeah. It's like the car is angry and uh, they just ignore Taylor and they get in the car and leave and they go to like a fucking IHOP or something. Right. <laughs> and they're in the diner and you see these two women. One of them still got rollers in the hair arguing at the bar, right. Or at the counter and the family's sitting there and they're trying to figure out where they're going to run to and this, this, this and that. And Taylor might've said something alluding to you not being able to run. Um, 
But one of the women gets up angry to leave and drops her coffee mug and starts staring at Diane and starts talking like her mother. Yeah. And she's like, you can't run from this thing. It'll follow you and Caroline anywhere you go. You got to stay here. Taylor can help you. Right. And then the woman like goes back to normal and Diane's like, oh, it's my mom. And then it's time, it's time to peace out of the fucking diner, diner now. And does, does that shot ever, that little scene, every time I see that and I see the two ladies at the, the bar right there, it always feels like I'm all of a sudden watching a Pee Wee's adventure movie. <laughs> Large Marge, the truck driver. Yeah. Do you not get that? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the family gets to the diner and uh, Taylor's sitting on the hood of the car. And th- now we know why the car was angry. Taylor sat on it. <laughs> this might actually be the first time Taylor tells him it's angry. But Taylor's like, you know, the woman was right in there, you know. And, and Steve's like, you and this woman in cahoots? And he's like, I cahoot with no one. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that line. And uh, they think he's crazy. And Steve's like, let's get out of here. And then they hear Taylor and Carol Ann talking in the background. The camera pulls around and he's holding her. And he's like, what's your dolly's name? And they get along really well. And this, 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 and that. And they decide that maybe it's safe. We'll, like, listen to him, right? Yeah. And they let him come to the house. I think he sets a tent up in the backyard. Yes. He's got his medicine bag. That's what he said. This is my medicine bag. When she says, what is that? And he's blessing the house and this, 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 and that. Diane calls Tangina and confirms that she did send him and that he's legit. And uh, Steve's still just not really going for it. And then he's he's like meditating outside and you can see through the window. And Robbie's like, mom, dad, look. And like all the butterflies are swarming him and landing on him. Like, well, maybe he's got some sort of juju, right? Yeah. Then we see Kane. Walking down the street. And a rain cloud appears over the house. Yeah, he's walking along like Pooh Bear. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up the driveway, and, and Carol Ann and Robbie are out playing, and a storm just starts pouring down on him. Robbie's like, Carol Ann, go well, inside. Yeah, because yeah, she's got like a blanket out in the yard with her. I think she's even got a speaking spell out there. And, and oh, the speaking and spell. I forgot about the fucking and, speak like the devil. <laughs> and she just sits there staring him down. Look, while she raining. knows. Yeah. yeah but and, she's like frozen until yeah. her mom comes and grabs her. And the mom comes out and gets her and he comes up and Steve's on the porch and he starts talking. He's like, I don't need a salesman today. We've had enough of those. He's like, what I'm selling is free, man. I just turned into a hippie. <laughs> but he sounds like your normal door-to-door Mormon, right? And it, <laughs> what the fuck are you laughing at? They're supposed to be Mormon, aren't they? I don't fucking know. I thought they said it when I was reading it. Holy oh, you shit. Said door-to-door Mormon. That was awesome. I don't remember. When they do the flashback thing and his group, they may be Mormon. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, Reverend Kane starts talking to Stephen and and he's like, I, I think I'll talk to you from this side of the door. <laughs> he closes the door. Yeah. And this fucking scene with Kane, he is so fucking creepy. Let me in now before it's too late. You're going to die in there. All of you. You are going to die. But he's at the door and he's wanting to come in and he's like, I believe you've got an Indian in the house. And he's like, Taylor, and he's like, oh, is that the name he goes by now? So it's like they know each other and it's like this ancient battle or something. Yeah. I wish they would have gone into that more, but they didn't. So <laughs> that's one of the downfalls of this film. <laughs> but he starts talking and you can see Steve getting mesmerized, yep. right? And he's kind of falling for it and he's starting to join the Reverend and you can kind of see where his power. And uh, Steve snaps out of it. 
right? Yeah. I, I think he hears one of the kids or his wife, and he snaps out of it, and he tells the reverend to leave, and the reverend starts walking off down the driveway, and he fades into nothing. Yeah. And Taylor walks up, and he's like, who was that? And that was him. That was the beast. And Taylor's like, you fought him off. You got great power to defend your family, and he gives him a feather. Yep. All right, like he's you're a warrior now, and uh, it's it's a really cool scene because, like I said, I like a lot of the scenes with Taylor in them. And this might be when he decides Taylor can move into the house, and the car is very pissed. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because he tells him the car is angry out on the porch, and he tells him he can work on it, and he yeah. goes to bless it, and then when he comes home the other time, and it's smoking. Like, he's like, the car is still angry, very pissed. <laughs> um, but you know, we have the bonding scene with the feather and Taylor and. And Steven, so they're accepting one another now. And then we cut to nighttime. And we get the goddamn brace face attack. <laughs> I don't know why somebody thought this was a good idea. But Robbie has braces now. And he goes upstairs to the bathroom. The only creepy thing about it is you see a bunch of zombies, like, standing in the mirror. Because yeah. it, it cuts to nighttime and it goes outside. You see a bunch of orbs fly up to the house. And then they turn into spirit bodies and start walking towards the house. And I guess this is representing the assault, right? Yeah. Somewhere in the film, there's another shot you get of the Reverend walking up to the house. I don't know. I don't remember. If it's somewhere right after this part. And uh, most of that attack from the Reverend on the house is in the trailer. But they yeah. couldn't keep any of the scenes because Julian Beck died and they couldn't do the reshoots. Gotcha. So all that got cut out. But you see all these spirits on the lawn walking towards the house. And uh, Robbie goes upstairs. And I think he's trying to clean his braces, and then the wires start growing out, which is okay. It's a little creepy. It's very Nightmare on Elm Street-ish. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. Like the like when you start hitting like three and four and stuff like that era. Yep. And uh, I think he got like shaving cream and a razor out like he was going to shave, right? And Carol Ann's picking on him, and uh, which obviously he doesn't need to shave yet. But uh, he starts screaming, and the braces are growing out of his face, and uh, the parents run upstairs, and Taylor stays downstairs. Yeah. Doesn't come do anything, and he just stays with Carol and puts arms around her. And they go up, and he's fucking, Robbie's stuck in the ceiling like it's a spider web, and it's a cocoon, and it's just fucking braces, and it's dumb. <laughs> and the braces are trying to fucking mate with a wall socket, right? Yeah. And there's, I think there's a shock electricity, and it burst out at Steve, and, and, and he fucking, they, they get Robbie off the ceiling somehow. Yeah, because it's so it, well, fucking dumb. I don't even remember how they it, get him down. It starts wrapping around Steve as well, and... He's completely, Robbie's completely covered. He's got like one eye hole he can see through and it's trying to go for the outlet. It finally gets close enough to the outlet that there's a zap and then they're all free. Do you, do you hate on it just by itself? I think it looks terrible. I think it was dumb. I think they could have done anything else. I just don't like it. I, I mean, I guess the effects were okay for it, but I, I think I if think they it's dumb, I thought it was dumb when I was a kid. And I think it's dumb now. <laughs> it feels like something out of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I think it was over the top. I think had they just done like braces growing out and like attacking his face or just his body where he was still mobile, it would have been more terrifying. I wish they would have just done something with the spirits of the fucking zombies we just saw in the mirror. <laughs> I mean, I know that when we saw the reflection and the reflection comes into play later, in yeah. the third one, that like we're supposed to get that they're in the room and they're causing this. But yeah. I don't know. And I mean, it's a fake out because you see the zombies and he doesn't. He goes to open the mirror to get the shaving cream out and you think there's going to be something in there. I just almost would have preferred the cheap jump scare. I don't know. <laughs> but they, they run downstairs and they think they're okay. And Steve tries to sit in his chair and he gets fucking like shocked and launched across the room. And then you hear Kane say something. He stand, his spirit stands up out of the chair. Yeah. Right. So he was sitting there and he sat on him. And um, 
fucking Steve's mad at Taylor. And he's like, where the hell were you? Blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you come help us? What good are you? And he's like, I had to stay and protect Carol Ann. They're only here for Carol Ann. Yeah. Right. So that made sense when you see that. And um, the family goes to sleep. They're like made a bunch of pallets in like the living room. And you see Taylor walking around like he's protecting the family. Yeah. And the parents wake up at the same time like they always do <laughs> for scenes. And uh, Steve looks up at Taylor and he's like, tell me about him. This scene kind of, I don't know. I feel like they didn't really know what they wanted to do because he says he's a man with a demon inside of him. Yeah. And he lives in another dimension, right? So is he a demon? Did he turn into a demon? Is there a demon possessing him? Because we end up getting a little bit more backstory later, but I don't know. They, they kind of contradict each other. He just says that Kane's going to try to tear the family apart so yep. that he can take Carol Ann. And then we cut to the next day and Taylor takes Steve on an excursion to a, to a Native American sweat lodge, which I've been to one when I was younger. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I went a couple of times actually, because the girl I dated had some, you know, Native Americans in her family and that's what they did for church. So that was kind of neat. Okay. Giant wolf spider ran up on me. The biggest one I've ever seen scared the <laughs> hell out of me. And I don't know if it's the chief or the shaman or the guy that's running the sweat lodge was telling me how it meant something. Oh, okay. And then like it was part of nature and something. I'm like, I'm scared of spiders. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty neat. But he takes them to the sweat lodge and, you know, he's got the stones and he's pouring the water on them and they're, they're sweating it out and uh, they're smoking the peace pipe and uh, Taylor blows the smoke and it turns like the spirit and goes inside Stephen and he's like, you know, the smoke will protect you. Yeah. Right. So he's got that now. And uh, I guess he's blessed at this point. Tangina shows up at the house. Meanwhile, and she has a bunch of pictures and she's showing them to Diane and one of them's Kane. She recognizes him from the picture. Yeah. And she tells her like, she's like, I need you to, to hold it. I need you to feel it, you know, and Diane uses her psychic abilities and she starts getting flashbacks and you see that Reverend Kane had like a cult and he had a bunch of followers and he thought that there was an end of times event coming and that he could save them all. So they follow him into the desert and, they move a rock and they go down this cavern and then they had ropes and they sealed themselves in with the rock. And, you know, they're just singing about God and his holy temple <laughs> and everybody's sweating and like exhausted and dying. And, and the day comes and the world didn't end. Yeah. And he won't let them go. Yep. And they all stay down there and die. And basically his spirit absorbed all of their spirits and made him so powerful. So is that a fucking demon or is it a uh. ghost that absorbed all the spirits? I don't know. I was happy when we just had a house built on top of a fucking cemetery. Like we could have just left it there. See who, um, who one of his young followers uh, is at the flashback shot. Who? Fucking the same dude that uh, played the dream child in nightmare five. Oh, I didn't catch that. Okay. <laughs> nightmare on Elm Street again. Always the nightmare on Elm Street with you. And with me, it's always man stalks and kills babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> and, Actually, this is the part where Kane starts walking down the street in front of the house, and you're okay. going to get the second assault with Tangina that's in the trailer that never happened. Gotcha. And I don't, either it happens twice or I fucked it up. Maybe the ghosts swarm the house now, but uh, there was a bottle of tequila that Steve was nursing, hanging out with Taylor, and he's like, Want you drink? Or, you want to drink? He's like, I don't, I don't drink. Yeah. And uh, he's broken that bottle back out. I think it's really odd because, you know, he's, he's fought off Kane once, he knows he has to protect the family. Taylor took him to the sweat lodge. Taylor blessed him with the smoke. I'm going to get shit faced tonight. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but he is, he's talking to the family. He's like, we got to stick together and bond at dinner just before this. And, and nobody's really having it. Yeah. So maybe just kind of defeated, but he's chugging his tequila and it's got the worm in it. And I will never touch a bottle of tequila with a worm in it because of this movie. <laughs> but the, the worm 
and maybe I always mix this up with a different like fucking Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but I swear it's got a face on the worm when it's swimming around the bottle, well, right? Well, it opens up a an eye. Yeah. Like on that's the side a, of it. It just opens up an eye, but I swear there's another movie with Freddy where he's like a worm kind of, and I always mix the two up. There's Freddy versus Jason where he's like the caterpillar I don't know. thing and hits the bong. But it just, I don't know. It always makes me think of Nightmare on Elm Street on the scene. And he chugs the it's tequila not down. Just me. <laughs> You're contagious. <laughs> he chugs the tequila down and he swallows this fat ass fucking worm all the way down. And he goes into convulsions on the floor. And this is fucking top notch acting from Craig T. Nelson here. Yeah. Because he is as psychotic as Jack Nicholson is as Jack in The Shining in this part. <laughs> and he gets up and he starts singing and talking. And he acts just like Julian Beck as Kane. Yep. Like, other than the voice tonal differences, it's the same. It's yeah. fucking awesome. And I have to say, the makeup work on him in this shot, too, is very, very good. Because it makes him look not as... Emanciated? As uh, it, It's kind of like, but, you know in the original Night of the Living Dead, how they didn't paint him to look like zombies? They just did, yeah. uh, like, the dark spots on their already existing facial features. Yeah. It's kind of like they did that to make it look like he was sunken in a bit. Yeah, right? it right? looked like the life had been sucked out of him. He goes in the room with Diane, and I think Carol Ann walks up, and he starts talking about, you never wanted to have her. We yep. could have got rid of her. And this is what Taylor was talking about. He's tearing the family apart. So Carol Ann runs off, and then he basically starts trying to fucking sexually assault Diane, right? Yeah, full on. <laughs> and he's like, I'm a man. My needs need to be taken care of. She's like, your needs, it seems like your needs are already taken care of with a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that line. And uh, she's trying to fight him off. And he gets her pinned down on the floor and she says something like, I know you're in there, Steve or yeah. something. And yeah, I, I love, love you. you. And the power of love prevails. Is and the- your love strong enough? <laughs> Sorry. And then the credits roll. <laughs> we could have only been so lucky. Um, this scene's actually really cool. It's Craig T. Nelson's least favorite scene because they had to shoot it multiple times. Oh, really? But he stands up and he starts convulsing and he spits the worm out. It's a little bit bigger. Just a little. Than the first time. This is a grown-ass man almost coming out of his mouth and hanging. And I don't know how they did it, but I'm sure he had different size appliances in his yeah. mouth at some point. Yeah, it's all practical, and it all looks great. Well, it was designed by Geiger. Exactly. So this is one of the two things they used. And uh, they designed this creepy – this is actually one of the creepy-looking things in the movie, this disgusting little suit, and then put it on a stuntman that's an amputee. Yeah. So he just like fucking crawls out of the room and shit yeah. and scuttles out. And it's because it's an actual person without limbs wearing the suit. Doing well, he, it. well, he turns and he's got the evil cane face. Yeah. Well, it looks like cane. And, yeah. And then heads on out. And, uh, oh. the kids are missing and the parents are frantically running around the house and you get some cool scenes. Like, I really like it. Like, uh, it's a good jump scare. It's like a good actual jump scare. Um, Diane opening the door and some fucking zombies reach out for her. And then she falls down and like all the vacuum cleaner hoses. Cause I guess that's where he stores his vacuums that he sells. Yeah. And then she stands up and earlier in the movie, Taylor was teaching Robbie how to be a warrior and he has football helmet and the broomstick and he was guarding the house. Yeah. And, uh, Robbie breaks out with this broomstick from the pantry behind her. Another jump scare, but that one kind of had a sting. So it was a little cheap. Yeah. That one scared the shit out of her, but it was cheap. And they can't find Carol Ann. And I don't know if they're just fucking abandoning her or what, but they run into the garage into yeah. the car and she's sitting in the car. That's right. And uh, things start happening in the garage, and they get in the car, and then fucking Ash's demonically possessed non-3D chainsaw starts fucking floating up in the air and attacking the car and cutting at it. It's a high scene. I think that scene's 
Fantastic. And they end up backing out through the garage door and taking off. Right. And uh, I want to point out Taylor's absent at this scene because after the sweat lodge, he's like, I've given you the power. Yeah. You can defend your family, but you're going to have to go fight the Reverend on his own turf. He won't expect it. Right. So um, he's like, we got to go. Taylor said, we got to go back to the old house yeah. to fight him. And Robbie's like, do you believe him, dad? And then the mom asked Carol Ann, how did you know to go hide in the car? And she's like, Taylor told me he blessed it. And it was the only place safe. Yeah. And as soon as she says that, he's like, yeah, I do believe him, son. And I thought that was really cool. Okay. Like, so there's, there's some good stuff under this dog shit in this movie. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ginger Snaps part two. Um, <laughs> no, that's next week. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but the family heads back to the old lot in Cuesta Verde to fight the beast. And uh, they just straight up start crawling into the, the cavern. No holds bar. They go in. Tangina's there, though, right? Like, yeah. wait, she's like, I knew you were coming. I guess she's psychic, so it's not odd that she was there. Yeah, we'll give her that. And um, they go in, and immediately fucking the beast grabs Diana Caroline and fucking yanks them into the ghost room or whatever the fuck it yeah. is. And they're gone. The ghost dimension. And the credits roll. Oh, no, wait, no, no, no. You hear yet. chanting, and there happens to be a campfire in the hole with Taylor, <laughs> with his peace pipe. He's in the back He's in the back corner. Nobody knows him. <laughs> Thank God he's there. And they run up, and, and by they, I mean Steve and Robbie. And he's like, you two got to go in and save your family. And he throws them in the fucking fire, and they appear in the ghost world. And holy <laughs> shit. They're floating around, and it's fucking glowing, and there's Geiger shit coming all around them. And... <laughs> And then it kind of looks like the tree, but it's got faces on it. And it's because Julian Beck was dead. So they had to add him on there. And Carol Ann and, and Diane are floating near the Geiger tree and they don't know what to do. And then he said, take the spear and he hands the peace pipe through the fire. And it's a goddamn Odin spear of lightning that he hands to fucking Steve and he fucking smites the beast with it. I can't believe I just said all that shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the oh fucking God. tree goes into the pits of hell and it sucks Carol Ann in with it. Okay. So the family's there alone without Carol Ann. And then angel grandma Jess comes floating up out of hell for some reason. I don't know why. Why'd she go to hell? I thought she I came out of the light. Well, no, no, I mean, they went to the light and it's supposed to be like the beast got sucked down into hell, but yeah. somehow grandma Jess was able to intervene, get Carol Ann, bring her back because she said, I'll always be there if you need me. Then they just jump out of the fucking fire. <laughs> they think Taylor and Tangina and the credits actually roll right now. No, no, not yet. Because Taylor says he wants the car. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the. <laughs> and then he drives away in the car. He's like, car's still angry. He's like, yes, yeah, still angry. He's like, it's because the car wants me to own it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. See, that was worth it. And Steven's like, all right, sure. You just saved my family with the goddamn Odin spear. And he hits him the fucking keys. Car cranks immediately. Yeah. Same shit happening once. I met a car that was fucking dead. I'd had it for 12 years. I had to go buy a new car. Four days later, these two guys show up on the porch. Like, we noticed your car hadn't left in a few days. Creepy by itself. <laughs> I'll give you this much money for it. And I'm like, all right, sure. The transmission's out. You're going to have to get it towed. Let me look at it. And the guy goes out and fucking cranks it and puts it in drive and leaves. No shit. Yeah. Same shit happened to me, man. It's a fucking scam. But anyways, I guess that's supposed to be the payoff. <laughs> but yeah, well, well, then he's driving off and, the, and uh, Diane's like, Steven, we needed a ride home. And, uh, <laughs> they start chasing and they're chasing them. the fucking car as the credits roll. One thing I do want to point out, though, the the neighborhood is still shot. 
Like yeah. all the vacant lots for sale signs and everything. As far as atmosphere goes, nobody wanted to come back to the area. And uh, that yeah. was Poltergeist 2. <laughs> Should have stopped at the first one. And now that we've heard the summary, let's go into the deep dive. No, <laughs> just kidding. So you want me to just go ahead and move on to the next one? Yeah, sir? let's just. <sighs> so. Do you really have to cover this piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, hopefully this one goes. Jesus Christ, I wrote this many notes. Um, hopefully this one goes pretty quick. There's mirrors. Creepy shit happens. <laughs> Fuck it. In the end. <laughs> so in 1988, we get Poltergeist 3. And uh, Carol Ann's been sent away to Chicago to live with her aunt and uncle. Do you and, know why? Because uh, her parents are fucking sick of her. <laughs> no, it's because Craig T. Nelson's like, Fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> I was done after two. He knew better. They did ask him to be in the movie, and he was quoted as saying, Two's enough. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying, fuck you. In all seriousness. I mean, Heather O'Rourke's fucking 12. She didn't know any better. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> sorry man. guys. I fucking love the first one. It just goes downhill. So she's sent away to Chicago to, um, live with her aunt and uncle and to go to the school for gifted children. <laughs> and, um, we open up seeing her in her bedroom window and she looks out at the window washer and the window washer turns into cane. <laughs> And it doesn't Kinda. look, yeah, it doesn't look like him. It's not done well. Um, so we're quickly introduced to Aunt Pat and Uncle Bruce and Cousin Donna. And as they make their way downstairs, the elevator stutters. We see a crack in one of the mirrors because this whole place is just decked out in fucking mirrors for I mean, some reason. She has a reflection in the glass that's getting window washed. Her entire back wall behind her is mirrors. Yeah, the, the hallways. fucking hallways and the elevators are fucking mirrors. Who would have done this shit? <laughs> Bruce so, uh, Gardner. That's him. <laughs> Tom Skerritt, right? Yeah, but that's his character thing because it's his oh, building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and Aunt Pat, which is Nancy Allen. Yeah. So during the day, she fights crime with RoboCop. <laughs> and then by night, she comes home to help take care of Carol Ann. <laughs> and uh, Lara Flynn Bowles in it. Whoa. Yeah, in her first movie. Lara Flynn Bowles in it. Hey, you can call her Lara. Peter Griffin does. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, and it's her first movie. But uh, so we see that Uncle Bruce works in the building um, in management. It's his and, building. He runs it, right? Like, yeah. I think his name's on it. It's G-W something. So he's Gardner. You paid yeah. that mu- I didn't pay that much attention to the movie. But uh, we have a quality podcast here, Josh, for Christ's sake. Learn the people's names and shit. So dude and chick are. Uh, <laughs> so Aunt Pat is trying to catch the carpool for the girls. Yeah. And uh, they finally make it out to the van and we're introduced. Because they have to head them off, right? (laughs) Yeah. We're introduced to Scott and uh, we see Pat's running her art gallery. And uh, in one of the mirrors, we see this piece of art turn its head. And that's what's going to be this whole fucking movie is shit happening in the mirrors. I like it, though. It was the statue was creepy by itself. The head tilt was creepy. Yeah. Um, this was everything m- happens in a mirror. But I like it. This was the only part of the fucking movie I liked was the mirror shit. Yeah. This was mirrors before mirrors. <laughs> and um, the way they shot it all is pretty neat, too. Yeah. Like they did a lot of like duplicate versions of the room with a pane of glass and stuff like so it was done very, very nicely. Yeah. Special effects were fine in the well, movie. And the director demanded that every effect shot would be done with props in camera. There yeah. Because no, no added bullshit. Yeah. He was uh, quoted. I don't have the exact quote, but he's quoted saying basically like this is we're, we're hitting the dawn of CGI. And I want this to go down without CGI. Yeah. Well, also, they couldn't afford CGI, just like they couldn't afford Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we do not have the same guy scoring this movie that scored the first two. Yeah, so. this this trilogy is a symposium on the law of diminished returns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fucking hopes and 
will to live or diminished a little bit too. After so, it. so Carol Ann, uh, she sees Kane in the reflection in the van window. We're just setting up a whole bunch of this. Carol Ann gets dropped off at the school for gifted children, and we get introduced to Dr. Seton. This guy is a fucking douchebag. He is such an asshole, and he is the only character to be killed by the ghost in the entire trilogy. Yep. I'm going to call him Dr. Satan because they say his name real fast in the movie. And it sounds like they're saying Satan instead of Satan. <laughs> and the the kids are like, boo, at fucking Carol Ann because I guess they all know about her and Ghost for some dumb reason. Probably because this asshole doctor told them all. Exactly. So they're like studying her with groups of people looking through two-way mirrors. Satan is a total asshole. He's making, trying to make her talk about what went down. And uh, we cut to Tangina at a tea party. Pouring tea. She just keeps fucking pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. And this lady's like, Tangina, what's going on? He found her. Yeah, she's rubbing that necklace she's got, right? Yeah. So Seton puts Carol Ann under and um, she says uh, he wants her to take him into the light. Yeah. First plot hole we can just drive a truck through. Because what ends up happening in this movie could have happened in the second one. And everything would have been over. But anyways, so Seton sees the mug getting thrown through the window from where the two-way mirror is where they're watching him. Because he got Caroline in the chair, and he so what? What are you looking at over there? And he sees it on the desk. It's like a zombie hand pops up out of the desk, and that part was cool. Like I said, yeah. I love all the little creepy imagery. <laughs> so it shatters, and he's telling the people on the other side, "It's like, oh no, she just hypnotized you into breaking the glass with your mug." Yeah, because it's earlier now, in the movie when he's walking around with these people. He he's telling them, you know, she has mass hypnosis, and she makes people think shit. She made a whole neighborhood think her house imploded. Yeah, and. When it happens, you know, the, the people are watching the mirror and like, it's fascinating. She keeps looking at us like she can see us. And then he says something like he, like, you yeah. know, like, oh, look, he even fell for it. And when the mirror breaks through, they're like, well, how do you explain that? And he's like, the mug's still there. And it's just the way he says it. They think he's an idiot. You can yeah. tell they think he's an idiot when they look at him. He's like, oh, her suggestion made me look and then made you break it with your own mug. And it's what really guy. Yeah. He's the guy with all the strings on the wall that can't can't figure out that the reason there's a hole in the wall is because there's a hole in the wall. Um, (laughs) Now the three people that are on the other side of the glass though, I didn't look this up, but I meant to, but there's one dude with glasses that I swear is one of the science people from night of the comet. Okay. Um, I don't know. I have to look. I'll have to look, but anyways, do not dare invoke night of the comet during (laughs) fucking poltergeist three. Okay. So we've got Pat and Bruce getting ready for the big art show and Pat sees (laughs) Bruce. The crazy Japanese guy. Yeah. (laughs) Pat still sees uh, Bruce's reflection in the mirror after he walks away. So that's her getting exposed to a little bit of it. And um, as they leave, they're walking down the hallway and we get like multiple canes poking their head out of each door in succession as they walk away. And uh, that's some of the stuff that, like you said, that stuff's cool. Carol Ann hears Dawn on the phone talking about the party she can't go to because of this kind of relative. relative. And uh, she says, no, you need to go. I'll cover for you. And uh, she's okay to be kind of a relative as long as they're friends. And uh, she's putting her makeup on. And Carol Ann pops her head in the door and says, remember, less is more. Because that's what her mom said to her earlier. Yeah. yeah. And this part is fucking awesome. And then Donna realizes that the door's shut. And she saw this in the mirror and opens the door. And Carol Ann's standing there and says, remember, less is more. <laughs> it, it's so fucking creepy. So uh, Donna goes to the party and it's a bust because dude's. This is all taking place in an office building. I should probably point not, that it's out. Not just, people live here, yeah, too. There's, there's apartments. So got, it's a giant complex, just like Gremlins, too. Yeah. Right? Like, everything goes on here. And she did take her dad's keys, so that way she could take the freight elevator and not be seen. Exactly. Right? 
and uh, or the maintenance stairs or whatever the hell, but she's got the building keys. And so that's what pops up. This party's a bust because the parents are there and she's like, we can go to the pool. Or somebody says, isn't there a pool in this building? It's like, yeah, but it's locked after hours. And she's like, God, I got. Yeah, because the they're shit. trying to figure out where else they can go. And like, can we go to your house? And she's like, well, no, my niece is there, or cousin or whatever the fuck. Yeah. yeah. So the, the group goes down to the pool. We got Carol Ann is still alone. And uh, she sees a reflection. And uh, her reflection does this Freddy Krueger face morph thing. <laughs> and uh, I'm serious. I know it's supposed to be Kane. But God, they it, all these in this movie look like fucking Freddy Krueger shit. And uh, do you see Freddy Krueger when you sleep? Well, yeah, <laughs> he's on my pillowcase. Do you see I'm Freddy Krueger looking at you talking into a condenser mic right now? Yes. Holy shit. He's right there next to the Russian collusion. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Anyways, so the, the reflection tries to pull her into the mirror and Tangina, and we cut to her on a flight, presumably to Chicago. She whispers for her to break the mirror. Yeah. So Carol Ann gets these ice skates, breaks the mirror, gets out of her room. And uh, Tangina calls Dr. Seton from the plane and uh, he thinks it's Carol Ann playing yeah. a prank and shit. And he tells his wife um, that he's going to go to the art show and he's like, leave dinner on a low flame and don't forget the cilantro. <laughs> like this guy's just a piece of shit. You want to see him walk into traffic, man. He's an asshole. <laughs> so anyways, the, the party kids make their way down to the pool. We've got Donna and Scott head to the security office because even though they evaded the first camera, now she's going to go disable the second one. Bitch, why didn't you just go disable the cameras to begin with? <laughs> anyways, yeah, because so, she has the group of friends and she's like making them like two at a time run under the camera. Yeah, Even very like, metal gear. And this is the worst fucking camera setup because it doesn't look at either door. Know, it just right? looks at the hallway. So you can't tell who's fucking coming or going. Doesn't make any sense. Much like this movie. And uh, <laughs> so Carol Ann, first she tries to call the party and finds out that her cousin's not there and she takes off to try to find her. So we get the whole bit was she sets up the tape in the security office to so the security guard will be watching playback instead of live video in, mm-hmm. in the room where the pool is. And this is when Scott notices the little grocery area on the monitor and he's like, Do you have keys to that? <laughs> she's like, Yeah. And he's like, Beer? <laughs> and she's like, No. And he's like, Yes. No, yes. Like, I'll pay. No, yes. So we she finally gives in. So he's gonna fuck her because she is weak willed. Um, Jesus Christ, Josh. <laughs> So anyways, they go on the beer run. We've got Kane chasing Carol Ann down the halls and the halls turned ice. Yeah. And I guess he's chasing her in the form of mist. So he's part vampire. Um, <laughs> Why the fuck not? So Carol Ann ends up in the parking garage and Donna and Scott see her on the monitor back yeah. in the security office. They go running down there and this is actually a pretty neat shot. Oh yeah. She's cool. She steps into this puddle and these hands come up and yank her down into the puddle. And they pull Scott and Donna in as well. And uh, yeah, because they're trying to pull her out. And yeah, and they all go in. Yeah. So security tells Bruce about the pool party. He's done discovered this shit and is there with the kids. They, they talk to the kids and they say that Donna and Scott are missing and they all leave. And Bruce stays behind and he notices that Scott bursts out of the now frozen pool. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I'll never uh, forget that. That was actually one of the cool scenes, too. And then Scott's like, they've got Donna. They've got Carol Ann. And then. That's when Dr. Seton and Pat walk back yeah. in and uh, it's like, where did he come from? And he's like, he came from the, the frozen pool. What frozen pool? That frozen pool. And the pool's fine. And uh, so Seton's <laughs> like, she's, See? she's mass hypnotized. She's you. done gotten into your brain. Um, <laughs> and of course, Tom Scarrett looks at him like he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. So Pat and Bruce get back to the apartment and they hear Carol Ann. Um, I just want to say that when fucking Scott comes out of the water and he's supposed to be frozen, he looks like he got attacked by a splooge monster. 
Like he's just fucking the money shot. The bukkake just kept on coming. He's fucking covered in it, like a glazed donut. <laughs> but uh, so they go back in the room and uh, they hear Caroline behind the glowing, pulsating door. And these arms burst through and grab Pat and start pulling her in. And Tangina shows up and uh, she walks around behind her and she's like, "That's not Caroline." So we get another Freddie Caroline face and. Uh, <laughs> She's like, you didn't know that wasn't Carol Ann. What bothers me is that you didn't know that wasn't Carol Ann or some stupid <laughs> shit like that. Her lines are so bad in this movie. Um, it's definitely the only one where she's a very poor actress in it to me. No. So she explains the whole thing that, you know, Kane's know that as long as someone's on the other side, they can save her. We end up with Scott Tillington, Gina and Dr. Seton that uh, they entered through the puddle. It's yeah. like, where was the point of entry? We got to do this shit again. <laughs> and uh, they all go there and... Tangina looks down in the puddle and you see her reflection talking and you hear Carol Ann, which that was everything yeah. with the puddles. Good puddles. Good. Anything with the reflections in the puddles were, were fucking fine. And, uh, as long as the splooge monster doesn't come out. Seton still thinks it's all bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, there's a joke made earlier by, uh, Tom Skerritt about Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. Is yeah. What he refers to two and of he them. does his hand like for the height disparity. Yeah. And she's like, after she does this, she looks at him and is like, so what's it going to be, Tweedledum or Tweedledumber? So now Bruce believes. <laughs> and that was kind of like throwing back to Steve having to believe Taylor after things happen, right? Yeah. So they go back to the apartment again, and uh, they see Carol Ann in the mirror, and Tangina begs her to come through, but she turns again. That's what I keep calling it, because she does the Freddy Krueger face, or the cane <laughs> face, and she reaches out to the mirror and grabs Tangina, and Tangina immediately turns into a corpse. Like, and it's fucking terrible. And, and dumb. Uh, it's not that bad. I didn't you like know it. what? I'm going to go back here a little bit. In part two, when we see Carol Ann on the other side and she does the, all the life gets sucked out of her yeah, and turns yeah. to a corpse, that actually looked cool. They did. It did. Um, I mean, the effects sorry. and a lot of the creepy imagery in both these movies were pretty cool. Yeah. It's just the plot. Just meh. Yeah. The movies were unnecessary. So we do get Donna bursting out of Tangina's corpse. Yeah. Like fucking the fly style. It looks really cool. Yeah. And she's got like bits of stuff stuck on her face and everything. But as she gets up, you see a reverse angle and the letters on the back of her jacket are reversed. See, I didn't catch that you, there. I caught it later, but yeah. I didn't catch it there. Okay. So they go and put her on the bed and she screams Carol Ann like 17 of the 121 times that it's said in this movie. <laughs> Literally, it said 121 <laughs> times in the movie. And uh, Bruce ends up seeing Carol Ann and he starts chasing her down the hallway. Then, no, wait, wait, wait. I mean, the parents leave. Yeah, they leave and then Seton, Dr. Seton goes looking for him. That's what it is. Yeah, because she's like, I need my dad. Yeah, and he yeah. goes to look for him. And then he thinks he sees Carol Ann go into the elevator. And he goes up and the elevator doors open, but there's no elevator car there. And then Donna pushes him down the fucking shaft. The elevator car comes back up with his crumpled up body on top, which that's kind of neat. And yeah. then it gets to the right spot and opens and there's Scott. And Scott and Donna make out for a little bit and he reaches up and rips a piece of her face off, which is I don't just know why. so weird. I guess it was in case you hadn't figured out that there's something wrong. I know. Let me show you now. Well, now, like you said, stapling your head to the floor with it is <laughs> like... They thought I was her, and they go walking off down the hallway, and you see that they're inside the mirror, not yeah. in the hallway. And the well, first you see him walking down the hallway and realize the letters are reversed. That's where I called it. Okay, and you see, and then the camera pans over to the reflection, then it pans back out, and they're not in the hallway anymore. Yep. That was cool, other than the lines and stuff. Like I got it, guys. <laughs> we figured it out. So Bruce is running down halls and shit, chasing Caroline. He keeps thinking he sees her in different places. And um, Pat begs him to stop. And there's a couple of times that she does this. She's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Let's just, you know, 
get away. Let's get out of the building. And she gives up like so easy well, and doesn't give and a she, fuck the whole time. And she's the blood relative, not him. I know. So um, they make their way into this freezer. And this part's actually kind of neat. And once again, feels like Nightmare on Elm Street. You've got the frozen pigs. I'm being so serious, though. I, I know I love to be able to bring up Nightmare, but they're in the room and there's the frozen pigs and they start to animate. Yeah. And, you know, it straight up feels like that. And the room starts to flood, but it floods from the sidewall. Yeah. And it's all this bubbling water. And this part's so awesome. And then they ruin it with Zelda Rubenstein coming out of the water saying, outside in. Yeah. And she gives him the necklace. A lot of this had to do with her mother passing away during filming and her I being know. gone. And they had to just fucking do whatever they could. But it was still weak sauce. So they inexplicably teleport into the parking garage out of the <laughs> freezer. I mean, that's just they fall down in there in the parking garage. And it's totally frozen, and all the cars are fucking covered in ice, and they all start to crank up, and the headlights come on, just like that. Um, They're also, like, growling and shit. They're like they animals are. ready to pounce. But Why? My, my joke about, uh, actually, that's in Nightmare 4. But anyways, just like the junkyard in Nightmare on Elm Street, just like the mirrors in Nightmare 3. Is there 3, a dog pissing fire to not a dog the scene? Man, if they did that, I would be like, fuck this movie, I'm not talking about it. But, um... <laughs> The quote unquote lead I asked if we had to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> the quote unquote lead car has part of the windshield busted out and you see Kane, the best they could do. Um <laughs> and all the cars are like flying at him and trying to kill him, and one of the cars gets turned over and the fuel line ruptures. And Bruce goes ahead and lights that on fire, and that makes the Kane car crash. Mm, whatever. And this is the scene you talked about that like nearly fucked shit up because yeah. the fire got out of control. So they start running away and they think it's over. They get away from the first, the, the snow goes away. Then the sprinkler system goes away. Like as they walk in the parking garage, they can't figure out that as they walk farther, they're farther away from problems and closer to normality. But anyways, they think it's all over and they're hugging and kissing and everything, which is weird. They think it's all over when they haven't saved Caroline yet. They're like, know, oh, right? Fuck it. We're done. Well, Pat's assistant pulls up in the parking garage and uh, she was a lady we saw earlier in the gallery. Cause you thought it was a car coming to kill them again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she says that everyone's upstairs waiting on them. Like yeah. the whole family. I'm like, oh, okay. They must and be the cool. doctor. That's the real key there. That something's fucked uh, up. Yeah. yeah. Touche. They don't know that, but we know that. Yeah. I, it's I, I, to us, I didn't yeah. catch that. So on the elevator ride up, um, Pat goes into the whole thing again. She's like, you know, when we get up there, I'm packing up all of her stuff and sending her home in reference to Carol Ann. Like she's really starting to be a bitch about this. And uh, Kane all of a sudden appears in the fucking mirror in the elevator. He grabs him. Elevator goes bonkers. flies up a few floors, flies down a few floors. I think it's flying up again when Bruce hits the emergency stop. I and, love the Tower Terror ride. It's fantastic. <laughs> and they're stopped like in between floors. So when they climb out of the elevator, they turn around. And since it's halfway in between the floors, they can see the top yeah, and they see yeah. the dead doctor. And uh, Bruce grabs a shovel and he's like, outside in. We can go outside where Kane doesn't have power and get into the room. So they go down the window washer rig and he's beating on it with the shovel. And finally he hits it so hard, throwing all of his weight into it. He breaks the glass and he goes flying in. And uh, so we've got Pat still left outside and Carol Ann shows up. Who has the necklace at this point? uh, Does Pat have it, I think? I'm pretty sure Pat has it. She doesn't believe in any of this shit, but she won't let go of the necklace. <laughs> or she wants it all to end, but she won't let go of the necklace. So Carol Ann comes out and she does this whole spiel. She's like, I can stay with Kane. Kane loves me. You don't love me. You love your family. I can take Kane into the light. Because somewhere in here it gets mentioned that that's what he's after. I think yeah. by Tangina earlier. That he's going to use Carol Ann to be pulled into the light. They said in the second one as well, he can't go to the light on his own. Yeah. It's because, I think Taylor explained it in the second one. He's been... 
like a ghost for so long that he can't even find the light anymore. Okay. So he needs a guide and Carol Ann can do it. So the light that confuses people into thinking it's the real light he can see, but the real light he can't. <laughs> I'm just know. saying. So Carol Ann goes on that spiel about how she doesn't love her and Pat's like, no, I do love you, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, you were just spouting this shit in the elevator that <laughs> contradicts everything you're saying, woman. And she turns again and this time she looks like a fucking troll out of fucking Willow or something. <laughs> I don't know why. How do we cover Willow on the podcast? Because I want that to happen. We just did. <laughs> And uh, she goes back inside and then Pat's like, fuck it. I guess I got to go in here. And she goes inside and it's all frozen and shit. And there's mirrors everywhere. We hear Kane laugh. Pat says she knows that she can't take them because someone's still there that loves them. She has the necklace. She doesn't know what the fuck to do with it. She has it. <laughs> like, Kane, I got this necklace. You wrap it around your knuckles <laughs> and you punch them in the face. And uh, her reflection turns like the zombie thing. And uh, she holds up the necklace to it like the power cries compels you. And uh, it <laughs> it wards it off. Kane appears and he demands the necklace and bitch slaps her right down onto the, the, um, the corpses of Bruce and Donna. Yeah. She gets back up. She grabs a shovel and she chops Kane's head off. And he does this. <laughs> Which is this weird flailing thing with his he, arms. Josh is basically T-Rex arm to me. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> If you're happy and you know it, clap your awe. <laughs> Tangina appears and she takes Kane into the light. This is your big fucking payoff ending. Well, she sacrificed herself. She's like, Kane, I can take you into the light. Just let Carol Ann and her family go. Bitch, why didn't you bring this up the last movie? That's what I want to know, all right? She could have ended all this shit. We didn't have to have a part two. She was been like, got this. Come on. Anyways. We didn't have to have a part two anyways. I felt like it was resolved. Touche. So Pat hears Bruce call from the light because we can see the light in the other side of the mirror. And uh, he brings Donna and Heather O'Rourke's stunt double through the mirror and they hug. <laughs> Unfortunately, she passed away in real life. She so did. They had to shoot it with a body double. Well, I do want to talk about the original ending a little bit. But uh, <laughs> then we get this fucking weird. The point being, we don't, we don't, Caroline doesn't talk. We don't see Caroline's face. It's obvious there's something weird. Yeah. We get an outside shot of the building. Lightning strikes the building and encapsulates it. And we hear Kane laugh. <laughs> so Kane's supposed to be dead, but here's this laugh like <laughs> Poltergeist 4. And no. Which was planned. No. Uh -uh. It was already planned. Nope. And it only didn't happen because of Heather O'Rourke's passing. And that's what's fucked up. There was an original ending that was filmed with her that ended up being the closing shot was the family back in the apartment. And you got to see Pat and Bruce, Carol Ann, Donna, and Scott. Because mm -hmm. Scott's MIA. He's he's in purgatory with the husband and son from fucking uh, Before I Wake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really bothered me last night that everybody came up like, yay, we won. And it's like, what about the other guy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Allegedly, what happened was the movie got greenlit as PG. And they were going for R and like, oh, well, let's reshoot the end in a more graphic manner. Walking off into the light. I mean, maybe the decapitation shot because they did yeah. the decapitation in the face kind of rots away. It's still it pales in comparison to the fucking first one as far yeah. as how graphic yeah. some of that shit was. It sucks. <laughs> I it's mean, a, it's a very hollow film. It is. And it's the most soulless fucking sequel I can think of right now. I'm sure something else come up down the road, but the, the trick shots with the mirrors fucking awesome. You know, we've talked about this, like what they did in the movie. It, don't make a poltergeist movie, make something else yeah. and do this. It, 
if did, they didn't have to shoehorn a poltergeist plot and just made like a movie with mirrors and things attacking from the other yeah. dimension and swapping the people, it would have been fine. Yeah, it felt like I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It felt like a made for TV replace Kane with Freddy, and it felt like a made for TV Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Josh, I can say. We finally got to cover the original Poltergeist in the podcast, which we're both excited about. And we spent more time talking about the good one than the other two put together, I fucking hope. But what at what cost, though, <laughs> we have to do this? Hey, it's it's over and done. We covered all of them. We did mention the reboot. Yeah. Um, which is what it is. It's not bad. It's sure as fuck better than the sequels. Yeah. It pains me, man. The sequels were unnecessary. Um, that pains me, number one. And like I said earlier, it pains me, number two, of actually watching... Heather O'Rourke get chops yeah. as an actress and the, the shit that happened to her sucks ass. Yeah. And I guess the mystique and the curse is what bring people around to this day to the whole trilogy. Watch them once. Tell me a different opinion. Tell me I'm seeing shit wrong. But because normally we see eye to eye on stuff and then some stuff you're like, no, man, it's not that bad. And I'm like, no, dude, it's not that bad. And we get to this one. And it's like, man, fuck these two. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, two and three had badass special effects. They had badass ideas for the creepy factor. It's just the plot and the poltergeist elements just weren't there. No. Spielberg didn't write it. Yeah, there's that too. Spielberg didn't ghost direct it. <laughs> Is that what we're calling it? Ghost directing? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, the effects were good. Is he puppeteering Toby Hooper with his hand up his butt like Kermit the Frog? <laughs> Fuck, I want to give Toby more credit than that. Um, and I mean, the special effects were were great, but they weren't ILM special effects. Two looked cooler with the special effects, but it was back to the well in a very awkward way. I don't think they looked cooler than the first one. There are some shots that I think look cooler than the first one. Oh, okay. some, some of the optical shots. But yeah, I fucking, I love the first one. It will remain a classic to me and, and most horror fans and movie fans out there. Yeah. One thing I wish I would have mentioned a little earlier, but uh, if you can find the Siskel and Ebert review of the first one, <laughs> it is fucking awesome. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But uh, it's the most split they ever were in the history of their fucking show. Yeah. And, and you got one of them shitting on it and the other one defending it. into the And I'm like, how can you shit on the first Poltergeist? I know, right? It, it's been, it still causes nightmares to people this day that saw it fresh, <laughs> new. You know, you're still fucked up about it. I yeah. still can't look at clowns. No. So I don't know. I'll probably never watch two and three ever again. Now that I've had to cover them for some sort of medium. Yeah. Now that, cause see, I watched them back in the day, but now having to watch them and really think about them in depth, it's like, Jesus, there's nothing here. Yeah. I mean, first one all day long, I'll, I'll fucking watch it down the road. This, and these two done. This is the first time you've heard other than Jesse's tirade about ginger snaps. <laughs> this is the only time you've really heard his dump on movies and sorry. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> Hopefully next week, though, we can uh, not dump on anything when we head back to directors and we cover James Wan. <laughs> Him, Blumhouse, Mike Flanagan, those are the shining lights, you know, that are fucking past 10 years or so keeping horror movies going. So with the kid coming in a few weeks, we really are having to, like, cherry pick who we're doing based off of the movies and their backstory because we need lengths to go a certain way. So it, it's not time to cover Carpenter or Craven yet. Yeah, this was going to be, the next director was going to be my pick, and everybody already knows who it is, but not at this time. You guys just wait. We're going to do very good jobs with uh, some of the bigger stuff we want to cover in heavier detail. So we'll, we'll knock James Wan out next week, and uh, we're already kicking around some ideas for categories and franchises for the next couple. But as usual, if you guys have any suggestions, shoot us an email at sbyspodcast at gmail.com. 
Follow us at SBIS Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Keep spreading the word, sending people our way. Keep on listening and have a good day. Thanks for listening. This has.